A word to the wise, we are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. We are tackling the entirety of Mistborn, The Final Empire, book number one today. With that, let's get started. Hey there, this is Cross. And I'm PJ. And we are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers like We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. We finished another book. We did. How many books is that for you now, PJ? Uh, it's a number. I haven't mastered counting yet, but it's somewhere <laughs> around six. And two comics, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, today is our wrap-up episode of for Mistborn, The Final Empire, like Lindsay said in the intro, and we've got our great friend, close friend, lifelong friend, I'm sure she'll make fun of me the whole Aww. time for saying friend four times in a row, Lindsay Lundine on the show. Hey, hey. Recent guest uh, on Short Pours as well for the romance episode that you may have heard on Monday. If you haven't, go listen to it. It's so fucking good. Yes, you have to. Required listening. It is. It is a joy. We're super glad to have you here I'm to, uh, to chat with us. excited to be here. This is so fun. Yeah. But before we go too far, we like to generally introduce with uh, what we're drinking. So we'll we'll kick it off here. Lindsay, what are what are you drinking? I'm drinking a drink that I like to call the nobility. It is just champagne, specifically <laughs> Ernest uh, Rapineau uh, Epernay Brut. I got it from a friend and uh, I'll open it here in a second once we're all done introducing our drinks for some lovely ASMR for you all. I'm here to give the people Excellent. what they want, Cross. Your uh, podcast <laughs> has been sorely missing ASMR, although PJ's voice gets close. See, damn it. This is this is a recurring <laughs> funny theme that actually came oh, no. up. Um, no, it's it's hysterical because recently I, I joined like a Discord and whatever, and we were, we were just chatting back and forth. And they're like, oh, what are you reading? And I'm like, well, just wrapped up Mistborn for the po- for podcast, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, you have a podcast. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, okay, what is it? And I was like, well, we're called Words and Whiskey. And people went and listened to it, and they're like, holy shit, PJ has a great voice. And I'm like, fuck <laughs> you, every time. So that's why for my birthday, I'm getting myself a, a microphone. <laughs> He he seems to think it's simply because I have a better microphone than him. At least it would put us on the same plane. I think field. it's because I'm a better person. It's it's going to be so sad core. when Crossland gets this better microphone and PJ still has the ASMR voice. It's true. <laughs> it's true. That's that's really going to knock him down a peg. That'll be that'll be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. So we we love the nobility. That's uh, that's great. PJ, what are you drinking? I have a drink that I have titled the strawberry (laughs) (laughs) pac-man so i wanted to do something tiki because i have this tiki mug and i haven't used it in a while cute so i where did you get that mug from i genuinely don't remember (laughs) didn't didn't you get it from god what's did i get it from psycho Psycho susie's i might have bought it from psycho susie's yep yep that sounds right if anyone doesn't know what psycho susie's is it's a bar in minneapolis uh minnesota that is tiki themed, but like tacky tiki themed. And it has carpet, like atrocious carpet throughout <laughs> the whole thing. And when you order a drink, you get a little mug. It's great. You should go. Yeah. yeah. It, it's they call themselves a tiki motor lounge. Yes. So like all the all the food items are like named after classic cars. It's, it's real weird, but I love it. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. But I don't have a lot of the mainstay tiki ingredients. And I only had 
white rum and like just vanilla rum that I have in my freezer. So, PJ's you know, drinking, I like threw something together. College sorority exactly. girl. <laughs> exactly. So I, I went with an ounce and a half of white rum, an ounce and a half of vanilla rum, an ounce and a half of lime juice, and an ounce and a half of a strawberry syrup that I made. And then garnish that with a lime wedge and a mint sprig. And it's really good. I think it's a little bit too sweet. I think I'd up the white rum content just a little bit or cut back on the strawberry syrup. But anyway, it's delicious and I'm going to probably make more of them. Like more soon or like <laughs> maybe for the rest of the day. I don't know. <laughs> Depends on how it's the day morning, goes. by the way. By the way, this is a morning podcast. This is a, this is a brunch podcast, which is why I'm drinking champagne. I'm drinking a deconstructed mm-hmm. mimosa. <laughs> <laughs> Are you just biting into an orange or no yeah no, there's absolutely no orange feel free to open it that's that's oh we, we got it we got it we got to let her do her yeah. asmr thing let's go okay now i feel weird hopefully your your champagne opens easier than mine did this morning you had champagne this morning well i'm having it in my cocktail oh i'm sorry I didn't mean i'll talk about it in a second oh, do it no. i believe in you. you guys i didn't think this would be so hard or just twist twist back oh, and yeah. forth twisting yeah twisting is also good i'm gonna um, make landon come help me <laughs> yes. One second. Excellent. While you want the audio, oh, sounds good. Hey, can you come help me open this champagne bottle? <laughs> yeah, I'll be right up. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Sorry for throwing a wrench in that guest appearance on the show again. <laughs> <laughs> All of my roommates are on the show. PJ, have you heard that guest appearance yet? He he showed me the clip. He sent me the clip. It's hilarious. It's so good. It was so well-timed. While we're waiting for that, I following up my cocktail, I've got yeah. Noon Whistle's Don't Worry, Be Gummy Hazy IPA. Gummy. Never heard of Noon Whistle before. No. But they are out of Illinois, I think. So Why does it say Be Gummy? Is it like sweet? Just the name. I don't know. Fruity. Yeah. Yeah. But Cheers. Pretty good. Are you, are yeah, you already cheers. on the IPA? I switch back and forth between my drinks. Yeah. Listen, someone recently said to mm-hmm. me that, you know, you're living in luxury when you are consuming multiple liquids at one time. So good wasn't that Tiff? Did. I think it was Tiff in the romance episode is like, yeah, Tiff. Tiff was like, I'm a three drink gal. That's really important. <laughs> okay, Landon's <laughs> here. He is. This is my roommate, Landon. He's going to open the champagne bottle in front of the microphone. Hey, Landon. Hello. Oh, my God. Don't hit the Wait. computer. <laughs> it'll it'll catch the sound. No, this feels risky. <laughs> You can use this, like, do this, and then go like this, and just open it like that, so it goes into your hand. It looks like it's going; it's starting to go, which is good. Yeah. Thanks, Landon. No problem. Awesome. Woo, Landon! (laughs) (laughs) If you take out like all the surrounding audio, that'll be really cool. If it's like, it will be. It'll be really cool. Crinkle, crinkle, crinkle. (laughs) That was all me. (laughs) Awesome. Um, Keep going. Do you have a glass, or you just drinking it out of the bottle? Drink out of the bottle. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely next level. That's fantastic. Cheers. That is the nobility. Cheers. That is truly the nobility. We love that. Cross, what are you drinking? Thanks, Lindsay. Lindsay did this for me. She played your role uh generally in the the other show, which I went fantastic. That's mm-hmm. true. 
It's true. <laughs> I am having a similar drink. Like we said, this is kind of a brunch episode, so it's not quite the nobility. You know, it might be like half-blooded nobility, might mm-hmm. be a minor descendant, but I'm having the Survivor's End, which is what I'm calling it, which is really just a pomegranate mimosa. But one of the tricks that my dad recommended, because I was, I, was I was like, what's a good brunchy cocktail that isn't just a mimosa? And he was like, well do a pomegranate mimosa and i was like okay and he's like yeah pomegranate juice champagne and i was like okay easy enough and he's like and two dashes of bitters i was like (laughs) huh that's interesting and so i tried it with and i tried it without definitely do the bitters the bitters is the way to go it adds a level of depth and complexity to it Mm -hmm. so similarly Lindsay, i have an entire bottle of champagne split but this is the first glass the rest is pre-made for backup because Mm. i'm not drinking a beer to follow this up i'm just having this cocktail repeatedly there's nothing like Mm -hmm. champagne in a in a yeti cup (laughs) well i'm gonna pour i'm gonna pour it into this it's just to keep it cold damn it so before the episode crossland you were talking about some bougie bitters that you are playing with what kind of bitters did you use for this cocktail so I did actually, I, I tried two different varietals because I was like, I got to figure out what works best. Um, varietals. Okay. Of bitters. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I have like five different kinds of bitters and I'm looking at buying like an eight pack of like crazy fucking bitters, right? So this in particular is the Hella Aromatic Bitter. And so it's really, it is more flowery, but it is close to Angostura. Not and quite the same as like a standard bitter, but it's interchangeable in my head. I like it more because it's a little bit more herbaceous. Who makes that? Hella. Oh, Hella is the brand name. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So this is uh, this is Hella bitters, but I did try the hopped grapefruit, which from Bitterman's, which is my favorite bitter that I have. Highly recommend that for anyone who's looking for a citrus bitter. I prefer it to orange bitters, ten to none. It's not overwhelmingly grapefruit, but you still get the citrus. Like it's so good. Perfect. And I think awesome. it's that hop, like the fact that they brew it or make it small batch with hops, is I think what does it. Sweet. So. Yeah, that's that's that. But yeah, I have I have an array of bitters, which is strange. Do you have a favorite? I do. It's the it's the hopped grapefruit is for sure my favorite bitter of the ones. I did get a Zocotl Mole bitter, which is like a Mexican chocolate bitter. Also very tasty in the right drink. Like it's perfect for a warm beverage, you know, or in winter. And it's definitely like the accompanying bitter for like a coffee cocktail or something like that. That sounds awesome. Like a sweet, sweetened coffee cocktail. So, so I bought a twelve pack of Lacroix Pure for one Ooh, of my cocktails. What, what is the difference between Lacroix and Lacroix Pure? It's not flavored. It's Lacroix flavored. <laughs> no, it, it's not. It's not flavored at all. <laughs> Lacroix is just a whisper oh. of flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, there it's you a whisper go. Of okay. The of I missed the. I missed the yeah. joke entirely. <laughs> it's okay, PJ. Girls can't be funny. I understand why you'd be confused. Well, I mean. <laughs> generally that's true but no no so just sparkling water but i've been drinking that with a couple dashes of bitters throughout the day at work Um, so i've been switching up different bitters it's been a lot of fun so yeah i'll have to bitters talk go through the words and whiskey archives once i finally move and have my own space so i can get some nice bar things like fancy bitters it is It's nice. I'm not going to lie. Mm. Building out the bar has been definitely the perk of the show in the in the end here. Mumble, mumble, mumble. Okay, with that, <laughs> we go into the discussion. So we're here to talk about Mistborn, the last empire, of, or the final empire, not the last empire. The 
interesting thing here is that you've read all the books, Lindsay, so we have yep. to tread cautiously so that we don't spoil PJ on things to come. I was having uh, a hard time with that, thinking about some of my answers. So Right? Like, it is Good it luck. is shockingly <laughs> difficult. And I've, I've been also having to parse my words anytime we say anything, because... The story is so layered. <laughs> we'll just put it that way. But before you like really dive into it, I just want to ask how like how do you know us? What what's your what's your relationship? Would you meet us? Oh no! Well, I know Crossland because we competed against each other in high school speech and debate, and I think I have a one hundred percent kill record on Crossland. And if it's not one hundred percent, it's pretty close. We'll see if we can find I, some pictures. I beat you in a made-up category, which, which is category? funny. Was it extended? The conversation. Do you remember the conversation thing at the tech meet? I did that. Where we, like, really became friends. Once. Like, <laughs> yeah, yes. right. And I beat you. <laughs> uh, I'm so glad. I'm glad you get yeah. to... I'm glad you have that. We'll find a picture if anyone's interested. We looked so cute. And then I know PJ through Crossland. Thankfully, Crossland has just been a wonderful bridge to many wonderful people in my life. So... I had to I had to get through the Crossland slog to get to the Peach, and I'm so <laughs> oh, thankful man. for that. <laughs> I said the that. Crossland That's much, slog. Yeah. I could get so much more detailed with this, and I'm trying to figure out what level is appropriate. <laughs> I mean, the reality is, is we could always cut it, right? Like that was the trick with the romance episode: is like do what you want. Perfect. <laughs> but Crossland has dated a handful of my friends. <laughs> I am Crossland's personal romance manager. You're doing real great work there. <laughs> I mean. If I get the track record, not really. <laughs> no, that was that was the joke. He's never lonely, ladies and gentlemen, and that's all that matters. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that was a sick burn. Yeah, you you beat me in everything in original oratory, but that was by my second, third category, depending on the meat. But yeah, okay. I feel you. Yeah. Okay. Whatever makes you you were much better. You were much better than I was. There's no question there. Yeah. Um, so I think if we're wondering why I was invited to this podcast, it's because of my my excellent. Uh, skills as an orator and you're very well read you know and people asked us to bring on another friend because they enjoy the couple of times that we've had some friends on to chat with and we you were my first thought because you were also fresh off this book series so So it just made it made a lot of sense so yeah bring some some divine feminine energy to this podcast yes between this and the romance podcast i think we got a (laughs) lot of divine (laughs) feminine energy i'm so glad Uh, pj are you feeling are you feeling the divinity absolutely Basking. Are you in feeling it. the divinity in this chilies tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> All right, so we are going to uh, kick it off here with a couple of like softballs. You know, like nothing, nothing absolutely crazy here. I kind of want to start with like, if you had the choice, which mm-hmm. alimantic ability would you choose? Like, just kind of a fun, you know, and why? You only get one. You can't be a misborn. I can start. I have to think. Yeah. Fire away, Peach. I I think I'd go with oh god why am I why am I blanking on which one's which the the steel steel pulling right iron is pull iron is yeah it's it's on the bottom of the document steel is push iron is pull oh I'd go with iron then because I don't know pulling myself forward sounds like fun <laughs> <laughs> not having to actually like sit up Peter and stand up just being around. able to like it's like a pair of roller skates and just like pulling so far off. I'd very strategically like place a bunch of metal all over my house so I can just pull myself wherever. Yeah, that Look, sounds Kelsier awesome. Kelsey for sure has done that in like his sex dungeon. So <laughs> like, why not you? The secret history of Kelsier is really <laughs> the sex dungeon. That's that's great. I love that. So you just pull and yourself imagine. Around. Okay, imagine sitting on like a rolling office chair and just <laughs> pulling yourself across the hallway. 
<laughs> or like one of those little um, scooters that you used in elementary school gym class that always ran over your fingers. But now you don't have to <laughs> use your fingies, so you can just like scoot around on it. <laughs> You're so right. I'd forgotten those. Those are just furniture moving dollies. Like that's all yes. those were. Yes. Yeah. They bought and entertained ch- children with furniture dollies. Yeah. Primary colored furniture dollies. And they were great. Yeah, right. Yeah, I right. always called them piano carts. Is that the actual oh. like name for them? They're used for moving pianos, for sure. Mm-hmm. I think that, that just tells us all you're really bougie. It does. It definitely communicates Sure. That. <laughs> sure. I don't think I've ever used them to move a piano, but like <laughs> that's what I knew them as. Piano carts. So I was going to also go with uh, iron because I'm lazy and it would be nice, I think, for everyone in my life for me to be able to just like pull things to me instead of being like, hey, will you go in the kitchen and grab uh, this thing I need? But I'm not going to go with that because PJ already did. So I'm going to go with zinc. I think I would be a great rioter. I like stirring the pot. I think it would be helpful in my career. And I just think, you know, it would be so satisfying. And useful can you tell him a slytherin <laughs> just sit there and like see two people talking i mean it would also be cute right like you see two people talking and you're like wow i really want i'm really proud of crossin for shooting his shot with my eighth friend so i'm gonna ride her emotions <laughs> and help her feel more compelled towards crossland or yeah i can think of a lot of places where that would be useful so i'm gonna go with zinc. <laughs> eighth friend how dare you <laughs> <laughs> that was good though yeah no it, and like literally what you said within the sentence makes sense in the context of being a rioter so like you are here to stir the pot and <laughs> i love that for you <laughs> i'm also like oh god i hope this doesn't come back to bite me in the ass i'm about to become an attorney and i feel like being a rioter would be so useful in court probably entirely unethical but like in the mistborn realm extremely useful yeah, I mean, is yeah. is it unethical if your entire point of your speech is to riot people's emotions already? You're just helping that along. You're just kind of nudging it. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that's interesting. I think that's a complexity that hasn't been, you know, fully addressed. I think Sanderson needs to write another book about a lawyer with rioting abilities. <laughs> a legal drama? <laughs> Nothing like some fancy legal drama. I love I love writing. I, I was kind of I've been like really kind of trying to figure out what the hell I would do here because I feel like steel has an interesting usefulness to like being able to fly. Right. Like pushing mm-hmm. is better than pulling in every context. Disagree. I don't know what you guys are on. Pu- <laughs> Strong pushing. Disagree. Pushing. OK. All I have to do is I have metal behind me and I push myself forward on the roller skates like I, you could launch yourself up into the air and catch yourself on the way down to like soften your blow. You could totally fly with with steel. You can't fly with iron. What you can't do is do the little like miney rope pulling motion that you can definitely do if you're pulling with iron. So I think in the club, like it's the clear winner. I think you brought up something, Lindsay, that I hadn't thought about, but I am absolutely on board with is like cooking. Just being able to like pull knives yeah. or utensils or pots or pans all all over the place. <laughs> Pulling <laughs> knives would be very dangerous. <laughs> you gotta right? be good at it. <laughs> like I'm sitting here, I'm cozy. Like we, I said this in the romance episode. Like to read, I need to be cozy. I'm not moving for eight hours. I have my book. I have my shit. But inevitably, at some point, I'm like, fuck, I forgot this one thing. And to just be like, I'm cozy. Thing is in my hand. Incredible. Yeah. Ideal. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. fair fine fine no, i'm more like thinking about exploring the world yeah i just well yeah 
I love that we both say that. Like that is that is definitely my go-to. Is like, yeah, it's okay to be wrong. <laughs> like, fuck, I like okay. So I was also between uh, not iron. I was between steel and brass. Soothing, mm-hmm. right? Because I think that ultimately, I think Breeze even says this in the book. Right and, and soothing are effectively the same, but it's just really a difference of how and in what way you impact someone's emotions, right? Mm-hmm. So I think soothing would be good. Copper is relatively useless, right? In in our context, I guess. Like no one's hunting Mistborn, so that, that you make know any of. Sense. Well, fair, fair. Point. Yeah, speak for yourself, Crossland. Yeah, fucking Magneto's hiding among us. You know, <laughs> like I can't help but think of Magneto every time I think of Mistborn. Like it's just it's they're interchangeable in my mind. I feel like bronze would suck because <laughs> all you can do is sit there and like have FOMO, right? Like you can sit there and be like, there are three people with alimatic powers in this room. I'm technically one of them, but the other two can actually do things. And you just have <laughs> They're to like, having sit fun. there with your knowledge of who has cool powers, knowing that your only cool power is knowing who has cool powers. <laughs> I feel like that's that's something that I asked earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Was how how do those people figure out that they have powers in general? Bronze or anyone. Or bronze and copper. Hmm. Copper specifically, because they can't feel their own power. Right. Hmm. That's a good question. You burn the metal, though, intentionally. So, like, you know that you're doing it, right? But, like, I mean, but they don't know what they're doing. Like, Vin right. did Like, they it, don't right? know that anything's right. happened. Vin knew she was burning something, though, I guess. She just didn't know what it was. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder, I feel like, mm, I feel like you have to have a seeker on your team. And then they can tell that, like, this smoker is... Like accidentally hiding alimatic pulses, maybe. I'm not sure. Can they know that though? Because because how would they know? Like because that blocks their power. Oh shit! <laughs> oh no! Oh my god! You're right. Bronze <laughs> sucks. <laughs> I think it would not be fun to be a seeker. <laughs> no, I don't know, PJ. That's a great question. Like, how do you learn? How do you learn that that's your power? That you're a copper specifically. Somebody else stumbling into something. I don't know. Yeah, you would. I, I think that the way that you would discover it is someone else would be like, I fucking what? Like, you would have to run into a seeker, basically, mm-hmm. who's like, oh, I can't tell what you're doing. Uh, are you good, buddy? <laughs> like, yeah, you'd like have a seeker meet cute who like walks into the yeah. bar and is like, I'm looking for alimatic pulses. There's none here, but I know that person's a mistborn or something. Hmm. And then they come, you know, they mm-hmm. figure it out or something. And they're like, hey, PJ small child who apparently recently had a traumatic event and snapped and became a a seeker did you know or sorry a mm-hmm. smoker did you know you have magic powers you're a wizard harry and your life changes. that's a great question there is i don't know if i've is. ever been a small child let's be real <laughs> pj's always been taller than this everyone. is my large baby pj <laughs> <laughs> i've also always thought though that being like a pewter a thug would be really cool just mm-hmm. because you'd be like, you'd be jacked and that'd be sick. And I, I don't know. That's always, I've always been drawn to that in any, any world that has, you know, powers and stuff. There's always just like the strong boy. That was like, that'd be really fun. Especially if you're like a small build person, you know, they kind of, mm-hmm. Sanderson kind of describes thugs as tending to be like a bit larger, but it'd be so sick. Kind of like Vin to just be super small and be able to like throw a car. That'd be so awesome. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I think that thug is really you know, all the thugs have like very big himbo energy, but I think that it would be really, really fun to have like 
it would be it would be so great if there was like another small vin like character of whom was a, was the thug you know because right. it would just be so disproportionately cool or even just to like not get tired be like i'm gonna run a marathon yeah. and i will win it <laughs> because i'm a thug <laughs> yeah oh man and the whole like pewter dragging thing is just such an interesting concept too to like tag into that the the like period the like limits the upper limits of these things are really interesting mm-hmm. as they've been explained so far so cool I feel like yeah pewter I, dragging so it's just like doing cocaine but you know you could probably experience that in, in the real world if you really wanted to there is direct access <laughs> don't do drugs kids but like if you're an adult so you know figure it out don't do drugs but i'm also not your mom yeah right exactly <laughs> do drugs do, do drugs i support you do it <laughs> bj says you're gonna have a good time bj will not be held liable if you don't though thank you Lindsay, mm-hmm. for the, the bsa <laughs> Don't get PJ's lawyer dad involved. Yeah, true. <laughs> All right. So we basically settled on we've got a lurcher, we've got a we've got a rider, and we've got a soother. That's that's what we got here as as our little crew, our heist like a crew. It does sound like a party, yeah. But one where PJ is just dragging himself around the room. <laughs> on the on the finger smushing scooters. I would only <laughs> wear rollerblades. Let's be real. Fun fact, my dad was in one of the first rollerblade advertisements. Really? <laughs> His uh, friend Scotty invented rollerblades, and my dad was asked to be. He's either wearing, like, representing the hockey crowd or the bandy crowd. I'll find it. Hmm. I'll send a picture. I'd imagine it's got to be hockey, right? Well, because yeah, uh, in the advertisement, there's like a lot of like, there's like a figure skater, a hockey player, mm. a skier, a cross country skier, like that kind of stuff. And so I think somebody else is hockey, and I think my dad is bandy because bandy mm. is just hockey, but without boards and with curved sticks and a ball. It's like soccer hockey. Got it. Anyway, Saki. Yeah, <laughs> Saki. I don't think they like that term. That's actually really derogatory, PJ. I can't believe you'd say that. Yeah, how, Damn how dare you? It's embarrassing for you. So there, there's a lot of things that happen inside of this book, right? So talking talking about the book itself for a little bit. There's there's a ton ton of different plot moments and beats that happen. I think that one of the more interesting things here is that we're obviously introduced at the beginning of the book to Kelsier and. He's kind of set up to be this like larger than life mentor. Mm -hmm. And then in the end, he kind of dies. And it kind of felt like it was coming. My first read kind of felt like it was coming out of left field because I was so bought into the character that I didn't, you know, I couldn't imagine it happening. I don't know. What what, did you guys think about the death and the future pressing implications of his death specifically to PJ? It was not read further. Your first question about the book is, what's up with Kelsier's death? Well, what's up with (laughs) Kelsier and Kelsier's death? I think it makes... A lot of sense from the way that this this sort of house of cards was being built of building to a messiah, building to a martyrdom. Mm-hmm. And it was hard to see, but in hindsight, it makes a ton of sense, especially given that that conversation that he had with Vin saying that she was able to stop him from doing this before. Like he was planning on basically doing the same thing with that army <coughs> before. And becoming a martyr then. Like, he just had a death wish the entire time. (laughs) But needed to build up his... Brand. His story, his legacy, his brand. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, be notorious enough or... or, Kelsey's a content creator. Viral. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, but that's that's the exact point. Is, like, becoming, becoming a folk hero and turning that into becoming a messiah. So... I think using that going forward will be a great tool for 
anyone leading any sort of resistance, which does that exist anymore? Like whatever, like you wouldn't call it the resistance really. It's just the populace now using him as sort of a theocratic character of sorts to lead the people. I think makes a lot of sense. Do you think he's actually dead? Oh my God. (laughs) You just opened up a can of worms for PJ. No, no, it's, it's something I thought about. Yes, I think he is. I think there's going to be some fuckery with the Chandra and like, how does memory actually work? Mm -hmm. Because there's questions about that with Lord Renew Mm -hmm. and what he actually, what memories he actually has access to. Mm -hmm. And like, he seems to be able to remember things from before he was like impersonated. Right. Yeah. I'm still not fully clear on how that works. So I think, yes, he's dead, but I don't think gone. (laughs) Gone, but not forgotten. (laughs) Something, Something to that effect. Cool. I am like, as far as these books go and like characters in general go, I go very conspiracy theorist with them. Like, I do not trust anything. PJ is full-blown, like, absolutely not taking it. (laughs) Hey, I mean, it started in his, you know, personal life and, and, like, his normal life, and now it's in his literary life. It's okay. We can all have a conspiracy theorist friend. You guys, PJ right now is wearing a tin hat. There is aluminum foil over his windows. I don't understand why you guys aren't. You know about (laughs) PJ has sent me multiple warning texts about how my veins are coursing with 5G and how... It's because you drink tap water. It's because I drink tap water. Yeah, yeah. Between that and my vac- my multiple vaccines, Bill Gates <laughs> is running my brain. Everybody, you should buy whatever new thing Microsoft is posting. Blink twice, see, I need help. I mean, I'm blinking. It's true, but I see it as a positive. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Please go get vaccinated. Thank you for the proper PSA. Don't get vaccinated so Bill Gates can watch you. He has our best interests in mind. <laughs> Submit to the billionaire overlord. How'd we get it? Oh yeah, PJ conspiracy. Yeah, five G. Got it. All right, that's that's how we arrived here at this point. I always um, find Kelsier's death really interesting in the first book because I don't know. And maybe if PJ is the conspiracy theorist, maybe I'm the pessimist because I just like never one hundred percent know if Kelsier's dedication to the cause was entirely earnest or if he was just trying to be edgy Mm. right and i think it's a little bit of a and a little bit of b like i think he really believed in it but i don't know if he wanted to to die at the end of this book and so to me it's marsha's perspective too right like that's marsha's whole thing he's questioning kelsier's motives so right yeah what's the alternative though like what would be the motivation for his actions if it wasn't to martyr himself yeah sorry to interrupt you no 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 that's a good question I don't know, glory. And this is why I feel like a pessimist. Like, I feel bad, you know, saying this, but I feel like it's a little fuck around and find out, right? You know, he really wanted, sometimes I wonder if he really wanted this, this fame and glory and then play stupid games, win stupid prizes. He ends up dying. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I wanted everyone to think I was cool with dying, but I don't know if I was actually cool with dying. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that the earnestness with Kelsier is definitely in question, right? Like the, the motives, Kelsier's motives seem positively motivated, but there were a couple of moments, even in this read reread, when I was thinking about his conversations with Ham and like who he could trust individually was, I think a big moment where I was like, Oh shit, 
he doesn't even necessarily believe in all of the crew at this point. Like, he, mm-hmm. he's got questions about the crew. And then on top of that, he's like, he snaps at Ham and says, like, it's my army. And mm-hmm. that's completely the wrong perspective from a guy who is, I mean, he's not he's not wrong, but it is meant to be. It does. It does bring up the question of his intentions. Right. And I don't want to shit on Kelsey because actually I really like right. him a lot as a mm-hmm. character. There's just sometimes where I'm I'm wondering if he if he likes the pageantry and the the excitement of, you know, being this person a lot of people look up to or if he's 100 percent genuine about it, because I feel like if he was 100 percent genuine about it, not to say that he's you know even less than 50 percent genuine. Right. But if he was 100 percent genuine about it, I feel like he would be a bit more careful about his actions and his communications and a bit more precise. He'd be a bit more precise with mm. with what he does, where to me, sometimes it feels like he sets rules, he ignores the rules, and then he feels very comfortable just kind of doing whatever he wants with no consequences. I will, I'll follow the rules when it when it serves me, but I'm just glad everyone's kind of following me. So I think that point is something that I have questions about in general, and maybe it's just not covered so much by the, by the text, but th- their care and secrecy that goes into like their operations doesn't get covered so much so it feels like they're being very out in the open for mm-hmm. the most part but it also seems like Kelsey is probably one of the most wanted men in the in the realm so are they being careful are they being right are they like, being careful quiet? or is the is the state just incompetent <laughs> or or does the lord ruler genuinely not care like we kind of learn towards the end of the book that the lord ruler wants to kind of cull the nobility every century or so. And mm-hmm. Kelsier is ushering that in mm-hmm. as opposed to infighting. It's a rebellion, but it, it's all the same to him. Mm-hmm. So is point, he right. actively like not, not letting the inquisitors go and take down Kelsier because he's helping him or are they just actually being careful and it's not being addressed in the, in the novel? Right. Like, does or the Lord just ruler 100% know what's going on? And he's just like, oh, cool. Someone else gets to do it for me this decade. Right. That's a good yeah. question. Yeah. That's kind of how I that's kind of how I think about it. And I picture it a little bit, I think, is that he he sees this as just an opportunity. And he believes truly that he is the sliver of an infinity and right next to God in, in terms of his his almighty abilities and powers. And so mm-hmm. I think he's just kind of. He's letting everything happen in in his own regard. I I don't know. I, I feel like that's just kind of it is. I think the Lord Ruler is totally taking advantage of Kelsier and thinks that he's like outwitting him in his own right until he becomes mm-hmm. such a problem where he's like, all right, I have to put you down. You're a dog. So, yeah. And I think that point is also backed up by the idea that the Inquisitors are like salivating at the opportunity to, to be the one to take Kelsier down as if they've been held back from doing it. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and then we get like especially when we think about the inquisitors salivating at that opportunity we also have them chasing around vin right and hunting vin who's obviously our actual main character and we haven't talked about vin at all yet but it is it is so interesting to me that they were clearly actually struggling to find vin but they could have probably found calcier they just didn't assume association is is my only rationality for them not being able to track vein and find her because they were after her hardcore and we're actively hunting her right we could get like not conspiratorial but we could think about it too much and say they probably didn't expect this person to be a very tiny teenage girl who's Mm -hmm. wreaking all this havoc 
I think that's also but, addressed in the book a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, they they had their suspicions that it was that it was Trusting's child or not Trusting, excuse me, Tavidian's child, right? The mm-hmm. the lead of the the ministry. So they they were pretty sure that they knew that this was the kid that they had been hunting because they had caught and killed Reen before, and so they're like very aware of her existence, mm-hmm. but probably didn't know her capabilities. Were blissfully unaware of what she was capable of. And they definitely knew it was her and who she was because they caught on because of her soothing of one of the obligators. Mm-hmm. So That's she right. was in the room. They saw her. So they they knew what to look for. But I don't know. No, that's real. I guess that's true. Hmm. It is an interesting, like, you know, it's still a quandary. She's just that good. Yeah. <laughs> we we even talked. Let's talk about Vin. Let's, like, kick it off to to our girl, right? As we've become fond of, of calling her. She is, I think, a fantastic character from the ground up. And I think that she is very interesting because she fits into the, oh, you're, you know, you're chosen. You've got these special abilities, blah, blah, kind of trope, but not Mm -hmm. not in the way that a lot of other protagonists do. Not in the kind of bland, you know, Harry Potter is magical and cool. Don't get me wrong. The letter of selection is a really (laughs) neat process, but it it does kind of have that. Ah, you're the chosen one. This does not have that feeling necessarily. I didn't get that at the very least. What do you guys think? I don't think that Um, in the in this book, there's that feeling. There's, there is to a certain extent, Kelsier revealing to her how, like, how, like, substantially powerful she is, Mm -hmm. like, and how special she is. But it doesn't have that same feeling, I feel like. Yeah, she just is a Mistborn. She is a more powerful Mistborn, as we obviously learn. You're a Mistborn, Harry. Can we just imagine how different that series would be if <laughs> if it wasn't magic, but it was Mistborn secretly hiding in the world? Yeah. What about Vin? How do we all feel about Vin in general as a character? I'm trying to wait for PJ I've... to go because I, I don't want to like say something that PJ doesn't know. <laughs> no, 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 no. I felt like she provided a great canvas for growth. In a, in a very, very cool, like, full-fledged way. Because we got this timid, small person, both, like, emotionally and physically. Mm-hmm. And we see the entire growth to her becoming this very confident, full-fledged Mistborn. And we also see a lot of humanity within her. With her sort of gallivanting as a noblewoman among among the nobility and falling into that sort of comfort and what is it, what how would you call it becoming afraid of the idea of losing that part of her life mm-hmm. and revealing who she truly is because she just enjoys it so much and i think that is something that you you'd probably see with most of humanity so th- there was the the parallel there and just the personal growth in so many different ways. So I think she was a, she was a great canvas. One of the cool things I think about about Vin in that respect is that she a lot of her growth in this first book happens because of other people lighting the way for her. And I think that's that's important because I know we all have those people in our lives that have lit the way for us to make personal growth. And I'm excited to see not thinking about the other books that I have actually read. I'm excited to see, you know, where that personal growth comes more from within. And there is that internal personal growth in this first book, but it is absolutely catalyzed by other people, I think, almost every step of the way. It's just interesting to see where that goes in the future. I also really appreciate 
that Sanderson writes Vin like a protagonist, you know, like she is a girl and she is like one of the only main females in the entire, in this entire first book. Right. But she is above and above all else, a protagonist. I appreciate that he doesn't try to like weirdly low key sexualize her. I like that he doesn't really put a ton of, a ton of stake in like the, in the romance of the book. It's just kind of like there, but I have different thoughts on Elin and Vin's romance. And I just, I think she's like this powerful, powerful girl who finds community and who sits in her community and who is able to find, is able to finally trust again. And I think that's, that's really, that's really powerful. And I appreciate that about Vin. I do also appreciate, I think PJ kind of hinted at this too, that Sanderson allows Vin to simultaneously exist between two worlds. I think especially male authors will often say like either this girl is the cool girl power punch girl she wears pants or this girl is the frilly like cutesy girl she's so sweet and demure blah 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 and vin struggles with that in the book right like she goes between loving and hating the balls loving and hating the dresses until finally she's like no it's okay if i like like this stuff that's kind of fun i can be a powerful mistborn bitch and also want to look cute and i think that's really cool especially for a book that's not super female heavy. I appreciate that from Sanderson. I I think that that's it's I think it's a kind of a brilliant move to make Vin move between the two worlds, right? Because mm-hmm. she is it it shows a possibility of what she could be in addition to giving her the kind of permission to act a certain way, which I think is good. And then in addition, kind of like you were saying, her her journey really is lit by other people because her number one problem is trusting other people because of her shitty brother, Reen. So it, it's kind of been it is kind of like I, I see exactly what you're saying, saying that it is mostly external influence, not personal growth that way. But mm-hmm. the, I think the biggest thing that's personal growth is her ability to trust people because people are these people are trustworthy. And that's kind of right. the biggest the biggest thing is to say, hey, some people are better than other people. Like Right, and that happened. Uh, oh, go ahead, PJ. Oh, I think another th- point to make is her inner monologue is Reen for the most part. Like mm-hmm. pushing her forward. It, it's in the voice of Reen. And towards the end, we start seeing her take quotes from other people, not mm-hmm. Reen. Mm-hmm. Like specifically Kelsier. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's in spite of, and to prove him wrong, like uh, saying that there's so much more to learn about friendship, stuff like that. But seeing her be able to internally break Reen as her sole, like, motivating inner monologue right. is another another personal growth aspect. No, that is super cool, right? Because there's almost this, like, trauma aspect to it where Reen is, like you said, running her her internal compass and to see her, to see her kind of place it on, on somebody else. It is interesting that she, I think in this, in this first book specifically, no matter what is always kind of filling her internal monologue with somebody else. That's not her. And so I found that to be an interesting journey for her as well. Like, okay, she's abandoned Reen, but now it's Kelsier. When is it going to be just Vin? It's true. Like when does, when does it really get to be Vin just expressing herself and not relying on other people to kind of, you know, form her in her monologue and like impact that directly yeah yeah i feel that for sure i do always find i'll add something i do always find yeah. the brother the brother thing a bit weird in this first book because i as i was reading the first book kept expecting reen to just like show up right mm. and he doesn't and it just it just felt really weird and i don't know it felt really weird to me i think it makes sense later i'm trying not to like say anything but that felt we do lacking. so 
just to give you context, if you can't remember what happened in what book, we do get the reveal that Reen was tortured and refused to give up Vin. Right. Through the end, which I think gives something. It's misguided, but it's like it's an extreme version of tough love that doesn't need to exist in the extreme that it does. It like redeems him a little bit, right? But I like kept expecting him to just like show up somewhere. You know, I expect, kept expecting him to walk out of the shadows and be like, Vin, I've been watching you. I'm so proud of you. You know, something like that. But yeah, he doesn't. And that's OK. Yeah. Yeah. I've been I, talking I, in your brain the entire time. <laughs> it hasn't been. <laughs> I've been speaking to you directly from the void. Um, <laughs> couldn't happen. Let's talk about one of the one of the really fun things I think that's inside of the story here, too, is the kind of story within a story that we get. Mm-hmm. Right. The logbook. PJ doesn't know the name of the character yet. It's revealed on the very first page of Well of Ascension. So it doesn't really matter. But we're, we're referring to him as. The logbook dude or uh, <laughs> the hero, the not hero of ages. Logbook um, log bro. Logbook bro. Yeah. So I, I kind of want your perspectives on a like the inclusion of the story within the story and the sort of the way that parallels the main story and just thoughts on it in general as like a narrative device. I just something that I just realized now that we know that Rashik is the Lord Ruler and not the person mm-hmm. that wrote the logbook. We don't technically know the gender of the person that wrote the logbook anymore do we true yep okay just idle thoughts <laughs> just sorry into your brain yeah no nothing <laughs> nothing else actually identifies the gender of that individual <laughs> i remember one of my questions with the logbook in the when it was revealed in the first book right was like why would the lord ruler hang on to this it's going to be so detrimental or it could be so detrimental to the lord ruler why why hang on to it? Mm-hmm. So we had a whole conversation in our last episode about this, but I, I would love to get your take on it. PJ, do you want to throw your weight behind Lindsay's opinion? Because I know that that's where you side on this. I don't. You don't remember our conversation? That's fair. Nope. We never remember our conversations. <laughs> so I, I think I mentioned this to Lindsay in the romance episode. She texted me afterwards. and She's like, I don't remember what we talked about. I'm like, regardless of drinking or not, whenever you record something, it is in one out the other. Um, so the conversation that we had about the logbook is the reason that we ended up agree. What we ended up agreeing on PJ is the reason that he kept it was because it is a religious instrument to control the steel ministry and to control the inquisitors. Mm-hmm. So yep. it is it is yep. used basically as a Bible of sorts that they treat as a holy text to affirm his place as the um, sliver of infinity and to like be this sort of genesis mm-hmm. of the final empire. Mm-hmm. That's because it's, it, a, it's it, a fake book. It, it doesn't reveal that it's not who he is. He's just slipping into that role of the author of that book. Mm-hmm. And and I think the other interesting part about that too, is that it reveals some hatred for the terrorist Like you can see where the Lord ruler quote would then go and beat up and like kill the terrorist because of his reaction to Rashek and not liking him throughout the logbook. So there's some like meta twist where it's like, ah, this is the reason that the terrorist are held down is because of their part and, and like negativity associated with them from the Ascension. You can see the Clenimites versus like, there's all kinds of interesting parallels there that he's just playing off of. That's true. That's true. You've thought about this a lot more than I have. I've always been like, <laughs> Oh, the, the Lord ruler kept it. Cause it was like a nostalgia factor, you know, like this is, this is where I came from, whether or not I'm the writer, blah, blah, blah. Like 
this is an important part of my rise to power. So I'm just going to hang on to it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I, I feel you though on the side of like, why would he hang on to it? And that's the only reason that it makes sense to me for him to hang on to it. Otherwise I think it was a dumb move. So there's the counterpoint of it's written in a dead language that the Mm. steel inquisitors probably don't know. Also true. So it's just for him then. Right. So like, why would it be a, a religious text, a Bible they all rely on when it's not written. Why do we care about the Dead Ski Scrolls? In the common language. I don't know. Is it a trophy? We, <laughs> we all know all those languages now, whatever. <laughs> well, right. But we didn't at the time. <laughs> is it a trophy? No, I think that's I think that's good, PJ, right? Like, is it just a trophy? I think that's I think that's fair. A trophy and like building an idol to that, to the logbook bro <laughs> or person. The not hero of ages. Yeah. Yeah, I love the logbook as a narrative device, though. If we're talking about like the way that it pieces out information, it is, I think, brilliant to kind of use as a paralleled story. PJ is on beer, too. <laughs> sometimes I worry this won't give any spoilers to the future books. But in my opinion, sometimes I feel like Sanderson leans on the logbook as like a plot driven device, which I totally understand. But at some at certain points, it, it has felt like nothing really happened. Logbook discovery. Things happen. Nothing really happens. Logbook discovery, things happen, right? So mm-hmm. that can get a little bit mm-hmm. old <laughs> after a few times, in my opinion. Totally. Like, that is definitely a sort of recycled device that he's using throughout the story to push it all forward, right? Which I think also gets to kind of an interesting point where we can bring in the original conceit to this book and how it shifts over time, right? This book starts as a heist novel. This is totally mm-hmm. intended to be like, Which fuck yeah, we're going to go rob the bank. Fucking love heist <laughs> novels. Like, yeah. If people and, haven't like, watched Logan Lucky, have you guys ever watched Logan Lucky? Yeah, so we actually yep. recorded a whole ep- we guessed it on a podcast talking about no Logan way. Lucky. We love we yep. love Logan Lucky so much. Check out High Key Obsessed podcast. The one who opened my champagne. Yeah. Obsessed with that movie. He watches it like once a month. Very mm-hmm. good. I could I could do that conceivably if I had the time. Like it's it is that enjoyable of a movie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and the the opening conceit of this novel opens as a heist, and it we mm-hmm. lose the heist after like four hundred pages, which is kind <laughs> of in in subsequent rereads super understandable, but it's also kind of disappointing because you want the heist, you want yes. the robbery, but the the heist the whole time has really been throwing over the empire, I guess. The heist is the friends they made along the way. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Journey, not destination. Yeah, I felt cheated. Mm-hmm. I wanted the heist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. I understand the progression in it, and I understand, to a certain extent, the need to be a little bit coy about the true motivations, but at the same time, I wonder what would have happened if he had been open about it the entire time. He probably wouldn't have gotten so much support, but I still feel like he could have gotten some, and that might have been even stronger. Being able to focus entirely on the actual task at hand, I think could have ex- expedited the the actual plan. Yeah. I if you have been real. honest about it. Yeah. Yeah. But who would he have gotten? Like Ham, I think, would have stayed. I don't think Breeze would have. Yeah. Clubs. No. I mean Doxon would have regardless. Like Doxon was yeah. in. I, Look, I think Dachshund clubs is probably just would have. like the administrative assistant who actually makes everything happen. And like <laughs> yeah, everyone is just so. dancing around Dachshund. And if it wasn't for Dachshund, there would not be a book. 
It's really true. PJ and I didn't talk about this until like our second to last episode, or maybe it was even the last episode, where it's like, PJ was like, I didn't appreciate Dachshund for all the work he was doing. Yeah, literally, <laughs> Dachshund we... makes the entire book happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is literally the like initiating force and mm-hmm. totally, administrative assistance is a great way to put it. Does not get enough credit, is not no. paid well enough, no. does all of the work. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gets lunches, you know, like yeah. he's, he does it all. Like, do they have sandwiches at Clubs' shop? I think they do. That's kind of ironic and funny, That's right? Silly. Can I say a really a hot take quick? <laughs> Rough. <laughs> off topic re Hammond Club. <laughs> they would have been Hammond Club would have been better off as female characters. And I will stand by this. <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah. yeah, just like I don't know. I think I think Sanderson I mean I get it, whatever. But I think if he had made Hammond Club female characters, it could have added this like whole extra level of drama. If he had made them lesbian female characters, which he would not do because Brandon Sanderson is a Mormon. He does have, have gay characters in novels, but. Right. But like. Not not in 2006, but. Yes, exactly. Right. You all can't see my face. I was doing a lot with my face. <laughs> yeah, I just I just think Hammond Club should be should be should have been female characters. I think that would have made it more interesting. I think they would have been more dynamic. And I think they both lend themselves to it. That's all I'm going to say. So do you think that would have changed anything or changed anything for the better or worse in how Vin was brought up within the club? That's interesting. I want to bring something up and like pair it back just to get to this point. Right. Um, the female characters that we have in start of this book are uh fucking vin a Mm -hmm. vague reference to her mother and we also have cliss and chanel ariel those are Mm -hmm. our three and vin those are our those are female characters all of them are villains except for vin (laughs) all of them are bad people except for vin brando who hurt you yeah no joke (laughs) like but to that point that's why i I totally agree i think hammond club being good women would be a good thing as role models Um, absolutely that's a good question you you asked though pj because i wonder if vin's reluctance to trust the group would have been eased faster if they had been female characters or if they or oh my god you guys i'm tipsy you're fine that's the point of the show (laughs) or if that would have created more resistance for her right because i think there can be a thing sometimes where if you're a woman who's had to live in a hard situation you like trust other women extra less so i don't know i don't know how that would have changed the plot for the better. I think it would have changed the narrative for the better. As far as being a reader goes, I think it would have been a little bit less monotonous. I think it would have been a bit easier to keep track of who is who. Uh, And I think there's a lot that Brandon could have done. Brando could have done with those characters to just make them, to make them interesting. Cause I think that's something I really have been appreciating about the red rising series is that there's a lot of powerful and not powerful women in there who are just for the most part described the same way as the male characters. And he does that to an extent with Vin, but I think sometimes it comes off a little bit. She's not like other girls, right? Kind of gets that like mm-hmm. manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. But yeah. powerful. So that, <laughs> that's another question that I have. And it kind of relies on the assumption that Brandon Sanderson would write those characters as women in a way that was like realistic or respectful enough. And I don't necessarily know if that would happen. What do you mean by realistic and respectful? Important, real bulletproof side note. Vin originally was written as a male character and then changed in the second draft hmm. after like 20,000 words. Interesting. So started as a male character. I didn't Just know that. the fact, the fact that there are so few 
female characters Mm -hmm. in this, in this story in general, I would be cautious at the idea that it would devolve into too much female stereotype. No, I think that's And that right. is based on nothing. Like it's based on no context at all. But just the fact that there aren't many women in the story, I don't I don't know how well it would be written. You know? I don't do you, think that's I, based on nothing. I, I think that's based on yeah. on you reading this book, right? Because like Crossland said, the two other main female characters he has are pretty heavily based on stereotypes. They're both villains. And I didn't know that Vin was originally written as a boy. And so I think it's, it's just pretty like easy. the first couple of chapters. And then he realized that he had to change it almost immediately. But right, but when, started, like you, when yeah. you set up this character as a young boy and you're writing all male characters and you just kind of like change the name of the person, you keep writing as a male character, but just saying she instead of he. Right. That's very different than these intentionally female characters that Sanderson creates mm. that kind of fall into these stereotypes. Because I do see, while I appreciate immensely the way that. Sanderson does not like sexualize Vin in like in any respect. And in some ways, his writing of her is almost like a cold shower. I also see the way that he describes just random women, even like, you know, tertiary characters, right? As like, oh, this woman was very ditzy or this woman was covered in frills and therefore like you shouldn't give her any legitimacy, blah, 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 right? I wonder if I think that was meant to underline Shan, though, right? Like that was meant to, like, make you think that she was nothing when, in fact, she was something else completely different. Right. Yeah. But even even other characters. No, I'm with you. Yeah. Even other characters. Yeah. I'm worried that I'm bumping into books two and three. I can't remember. You're I not. Think this is so far, you're good. Yeah. There is a character who's like this ditzy gossip cutie pie who ends up being very, very potent and very important right. in the grand scheme. Cliss, right. Was that? Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, that was close. Yeah. Hot second. Yeah. No, exactly. you're good. So part of me wonders if he had written, written these characters as men and then just like changed the names and pronouns later of like him and club. That could be interesting. But also I think, I don't know. I think they should both have lesbian arcs, but that's just me. <laughs> I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think that that would be actually a great fitting point for the two of them. And I think that Ham as a obviously you would change the name of Ham probably. Maybe not. No, Ham would great. be a Keep sweet it. girl name actually. Right. Yeah. I do want to say like my pushback on that wasn't to say that I disagree because I completely agree with you. I just it goes under the assumption that it would be well written enough to like <laughs> make sense. You know, no, it's okay, PJ. It's because you hate women. I understand. I mean. <laughs> irrelevant no i think that's a great question to bring up though irrelevant to the conversation (laughs) no i hadn't thought about that though because i kept being like these should be female characters but i hadn't really thought about like would he do them justice as female characters i don't know so maybe it's just my head canon i just got to keep it there i think an adaptation changing them to female characters would be awesome yeah and this is this is such a minor gripe right this is a very minor gripe for me that's within the female spectrum that we're talking about right now with female characters and brand sanderson i've read a couple of extra books at this point but when i was rereading brandon sanderson books that's all i meant but (laughs) i I read books i'm cross i read fucking books ha ha he he it's me look at me but if Brandon Sanderson, early Brandon Sanderson, especially, he leans on women blushing so much as an emotional response to things. And PJ, (laughs) now that I've said it, you're not going to be able to not notice it because that is almost entirely what everyone does the moment that they're like confronted with something because all of a sudden this confrontation is embarrassing and so they blush and that's this weird assumption it's because he's mormon it's because he's mormon and that's like the sexiest it gets before marriage it's the sexiest it gets right you're like 
oh, hey, flirty comment, somebody blushes, and you're like, ooh, I'm going to be thinking yeah. about that for the week to come. As it, oh, my God. <laughs> you're no, not, not wrong. Not C-U-M, C-O-M-E. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess both. Brandon Sanderson <laughs> has a blush fetish. <laughs> but... I like. I'm glad I, I had to bring it up. I had to make sure it was heard and mentioned no, because I just can't. I can't get it out of my fucking head. I'm reading Elantris right now, and uh, the character, one of the main characters in that, just is a nonstop blusher. Yeah, yeah. There is like a little bit of a weird innocence, innocence trope. I mean, I also don't know if I want to read Brandon Sanderson writing a sex scene. Like, I think that would make me never want to have sex again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that he stays in his lane and he knows his strengths. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a fair point. That's actually maybe maybe we should talk. We we briefly mentioned in the romance episode a little bit about Brandon Sanderson being a cold shower. But Mm -hmm. I think that maybe it's time to talk about the relationship with uh, with Ellen a little bit here and Ellen in general as a character. He gets three POV chapters. He's in a lot of Vin's perspective. He's the cute boy with the books who is kind of snotty and a punk and is like, well, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to fight the fight the authority. (laughs) But yeah, what do we think about Ellen? Fight it from the inside. Okay, Ellen, tell how has that gone recently? It's going so well, so well. Mm. I think he um, doesn't even think of the scar as intelligent at a certain point. He like, I think PJ made a big deal of this. He's like, I, man, we made a very big deal. We had like a two-hour conversation about this. Four hours. What? Like we talked about Ellen and like the entire motivations of political society and like whether or not they should be blamed for their behavior and habits. And it it spiraled to the point of we decided to stop talking about it in the episode. We finished the episode, which was a five-hour recording for some fucking reason. We haven't done that in forever on our regular show. And then we talked about it for three hours after the fact, not recording. That's cute. About morals mm-hmm. and ethics. <laughs> That's such an interesting question, though, and I'm yeah. not going to get into it because then we will right. be here for three more hours. <laughs> but yeah. but I, I mean, I think that it still bears mentioning at the very least and, and plumbing your, your thoughts and ideas. And we'll just let your ideas sit there. But like Ellen and his sort of mm-hmm. political ideals, like what do you what do you make of Ellen Day as a character as the the boy, the philosophy boy, and then his thoughts, ethics, morals? Oh, he's the equivalent of like the boy you meet at the coffee shop or the niche bar who is a poet and is going to school for philosophy, whose parents are paying the entire way. But he really thinks he has the authority to like tell poor people how to live, you know, and I, I'm i not saying this is somebody I, I, I like Ellen. I think he's he's fine and he's compelling. But I think it's Sanderson does a good job of making him pretty obviously naive in this first book. But at the same time, like Vin hasn't. Vin is just so excited to like meet a member of the nobility who has the same opinions as her that she's like, yes, this is it. But to me, Ellen is the equivalent of somebody with a, a coexist bumper sticker who donates to a couple local organizations a couple times a year and really thinks they're doing something while they live in their like 4,000 or 4,000, $4 million mansion and uh, refuses to, you know, look homeless people in the eye. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's, that's really that's really fair. I think the view on ska in general is at least partially, if not mostly, propaganda. Sure. And the fact that like it's a big reveal to him that they're intelligent beings. Right. <laughs> like I don't I don't think that's well known amongst the nobility in mm-hmm. general. Like they see them as unintelligent humanoids 
as opposed to equal humans. <laughs> that doesn't make it right, clearly, but... No, but I think, like, Sanderson um, does a good job in the book of making it clear that that's not right. Like, he not pokes fun at, but, I don't know, you feel it as you're reading through it. Because, you know, Vin is Scott, and, you know, he's, excuse me, I'm burping from my fancy champagne. You know, these other people are Scott, and so you're reading it, and he's like, oh, I didn't know Scott could be intelligent. And you're like, shut the fuck up, Ellen. Um, so I don't <laughs> think, like, you know, I don't think Sanderson's writing this book thinking anyone halfway through is going to be like maybe the scott are intelligent you know we're, we're on vin's side we're on kelsey's side mm-hmm. from the beginning so we all think right. elon's mm-hmm. or ellen's kind of a dipshit when he makes that realization we're like yeah no shit buddy anyway no i mean yeah. i think that's a great way of putting it is like it is a no shit buddy moment like fucking yeah. come on <laughs> i mean him and rory or, oh my gosh him and vin's relationship reminds me of rory and dean from gilmore girls if anyone's a gilmore girls oh, fan yeah. out there right like i just as I'm preparing my bar application, I just started having Gilmore Girls on in the background. And I started over at the beginning. And, like, that's where this is coming from. Right? Like, Dean is, like, the first boy that's ever been, like, oh, you read books during gym class. You're not like other girls. Like, oh, I know the references you make. And Rory's, like, that's the hottest thing I've ever heard. We should get married immediately, even though we're both 16. And I feel like that's a little bit of what's happening here, why I had and why I still sometimes struggle with Vin and Ellen's relationship because it's a little like Vin's at these parties and she's uncomfortable in her dresses, but oh, there's this boy there who likes books and he also hates the formality and the frivolity. That means we have everything in common. Let's make out, but Brando's not going to write about it because he's Mormon. So like, right. I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes their relationship feels a little forced to me. Don't they kiss at the end of the book? Am I crazy? No, they hug. They hug at the end no, of the book. they just hug. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's all I mean, it is. They can kiss, and that's fine. Grabbing her in a firm embrace, Vin closed her eyes, simply feeling the warmth of being held, and then realized that that's all she ever wanted. Yeah, it's a hug. <laughs> anyway. I mean, but there is the fact that she's 16 and he's tw- 22? That's 20? right. Oh 22? God, I forgot about that. Yeah. He's, right. I think he's 21 or 22, yeah. She's a baby. Um, she's a baby. Well, yeah, and that's there's that preoccupation of, like, what's the societal rules? like, And I think that was something that I don't know. I don't. I don't need to get into it myself. But it's real, right? And like, yeah. Vin, Vin's age is a subject of not controversy about her age, but like about where you place these books in a genre. Because some people would say that it's like young adult, just because Vin is a teenager. Other people would place it in adult fantasy because she eventually becomes <laughs> an adult through the passage of time. And some people would say it's young adult because there's nothing like sexy about it which i think is a dumb way to gauge whether something is young adult or adult fiction but there's people out there who argue that Mistborn is a young adult series just because it's not explicit when it mm-hmm. launched it was not a young adult series it was an adult fantasy series because of the violence that was kind right. of the, oh, the yeah. thing but then over time it's actually changed into being considered a young adult series mm-hmm. which I think I disagree with to your point, but at the yeah. same time, you can see that it's it's also accessible for a younger crowd looking to get into higher fantasy. Oh, so absolutely. it's kind of it's, it's a weird it's like a bridge. I think of it as a bridge between mm-hmm. the two kind of. But to your point, there's nothing sexy in it. So like it's not, you know, it doesn't firmly place itself in adult fantasy right. necessarily. I'm going to be that person for a second on the podcast who says like traditionally books written by women will get tossed into young adult and then eventually someone will say, no, 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 I think this is adult fiction Whereas books written by men will get tossed into adult fiction and then someone will be like, no, 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 I think this is young adult fiction. So 
That's interesting. It's pretty true. I think Mm -hmm. that with Mm -hmm. all the love for Brando in my heart, Brando, if you're listening, thanks for being good at what you do. That's it. I've, (laughs) it's so funny. So like the fans call him Brando Sando, right? Brando Sando. We accidentally landed on Branderson. So we've been calling him Mr. Branderson the whole time. It's like a Matrix joke. Perfect. (laughs) Mr. Branderson. Uh, Did we? Did that not come from external? Like No, that was us, points? buddy. <laughs> we oh. fucked up. Well, <laughs> we did it on accident during one of our prologues. Like it was just it happened and we just stuck with it. So, no, so, Brando Sando is the the outer view. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. With good reason. Yeah. I'm country. not well enough or I'm not well read enough to know well the differences. Enough. I'm not well enough. I'm not, not well read okay. enough to understand the differences between like adult fiction and young adult fiction. I don't know where to like I don't know where to make that delineation. I I have no idea. Like how would you how would you define it? Do I have a podcast for you? It's only three hours and fifty minutes long. Think, in which we clearly draw the, those lines. We, okay. <laughs> I think one of the things we talked about on that on that episode is that it's content and themes, right? And so some people, especially in the United States, right, were like, oh, there's sexual themes that makes it adult fiction. But there's also things like violence. And we're very comfortable saying something that's violent is young adult fiction, which I don't agree with. I think at a certain level, violence becomes adult fiction. I think Hunger For Games sure. sits in the young adult fiction because it is violent, but it's not like graphic, right? Where PJ be- doesn't hasn't seen or read or doesn't know shit about Hunger Games. PJ is so sheltered with books. That's why we're doing the show for the record. Like That's PJ why this podcast exists. Oh my god. Doesn't yeah, yeah. fucking know Hunger Games. Yeah. yeah. No, anyway. Hunger Games is awesome. I love Hunger Games and it's like yeah. it's not explicit to the level where I would ever put it in adult fiction. I think Mistborn is absolutely explicit enough to put it in adult fiction. I think it is accessible especially for American teenagers mm-hmm. who are used to just like violence in their media. I read The Stand at 12. So like, right. And you're like, that's fine. And it it feels like to me, Mistborn feels like to me, the reason why there's so little sexual content in it is the same reason why there's so little drug or alcohol use content in it. And in that there's a lot of brain alcohol, actually. Good point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because he's not exposed to it so much. It's not necessarily a part of his everyday life. Right. So like there alcohol exists in the book, but it's not it's not like expounded upon very often. Yeah, it's fair. But they do drink a lot. Like every time they're hanging out in any of the places they're drinking, like any time. Yeah, but it's a passing comment that they. Yeah, but they No, that's real. Yeah, yeah, there's never any drunk conversation. Mm -hmm. It's just passing comments that they were drinking. There's one there's one moment. There's one specific moment with Vin where she does get drunk and breaks and like says something that she shouldn't have said at the time. But she only said it because she was drunk. She only pushed herself because she was intoxicated. Which which point? But that's the only it happens in like the first 150 pages. It is one of the first times when she's like addressing the crew and she's being brought in to a part of the plan. And she's like, that doesn't seem like we're doing the right thing there. And Kelsey's like, oh, yeah, so we should be planning this differently. We'll make sure that you are the one that actually does the noble infiltration. It's it's right around that section. Well, but he never okay. talks I agree about, with like, you otherwise. about like how it makes people feel right. So maybe yeah, like little Brando's right. writing from his pretty, pretty ignorant, ignorant view on on drinking sheltered. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean ignorant to sound like that. I know but, right, it like, was it wasn't a bad know, thing. He doesn't right. know, you know, and so he's like, oh, they were drinking whiskey and then like never as like, you know, the whiskey like permeated her veins and like 
made a warm feeling from like her throat to her tummy, blah, 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 like that some authors do when people start getting drunk. Tummy. Tummy. <laughs> tummy Tummy is a required term, I In think. Intercore. That's for the romance <laughs> episode. But, you know, he, yeah, I think that's a good point, PJ. He just kind of mentions it as like a passing. Oh, they had some, they had some whiskey or whatever. Breeze called for out. wine. This called for wine, yeah. Because Brandon's lived his whole life being like, oh, happy occasion. This calls for wine. And he's like sitting here texting his wife asking if he can have a Red Bull. So. Which he can't. Which he can't. No, but that's okay. One time I was at the bar. Was that like a, like a party bar with my friend who used to be Mormon. And then his friend from BYU who came in, who was still Mormon. And this friend like called his wife at the bar and asked her if he could have a Red Bull. And she said yes, and it was so sweet. And he had such a good time. He stood on the table and drank a Red Bull. <laughs> it was really cute. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, that's awesome. Sorry if there's any Mormon mm-hmm. listeners out there. You're awesome. You're also beautiful. Right. Yeah. Because you, know, I, I you mean, don't do anything terrible to your bodies like us heathens it's do. true. You generally are. Yeah. Let me know we, if you want <sighs> me to join any of your, your planets moving forward. I'm happy to be wife number four. So... All right, we've got a couple of things left to talk about from where we left off, but I I definitely want to give us a moment to talk about the whole crew at large. I think that that's a good place to jump back in here. What do we think about the crew? I mean, we've already got the hot take that it's not even a hot take. It's actually a proper take. I think that Hammond Club should be women, which I agree with. But what else do we think about the characters as they're written and kind of their their place inside of the story as individual mistings, except for Dachshund, because fuck Dachshund, I guess. No, because Dachshund holds everybody together. He's the glue. His power is friendship and <laughs> extreme skill at Microsoft Office. He is he is a product manager or yeah. project manager. <laughs> Absolutely. PJ, you go first. I think once he kills the bottle of champagne. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's what I was looking forward to the entire time. And I thought would have been more obvious to Kelsier from the beginning mm-hmm. was a very cohesive group of mentors for vin for each individual Mm. metal Mm -hmm. and i it was weird to me that kelsier didn't think of that to begin with sure and maybe it's because of his uprising as a misborn having a single tutor teaching him everything but i i don't know i think it just makes sense both narratively and just logically that you would divide up the task of teaching vin Mm -hmm. all the different aspects like we get that with darrow right away in red rising of these different colors are teaching him different things about being a gold you know so i don't know i think it worked really really well the only weird thing was that kelsier didn't see it as a viable option just from the see what is a viable option having vin be tutored by each individual misting oh that's right Yeah, yeah yeah i see what you're saying yeah, to me, the like specifically the the tutoring by each individual misting part of this book, but the whole book in general, but specifically this part felt just like very anime glow up sequence to me. Like, I feel like if there was a prose version of like an anime series, it would be Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn because it's so like, just like straight into the point and just like interesting. She yeah. like travels through all these little chapters of you know, what she's learning in the Alimatic Metals that she's learning how to conquer. And it feels very prescribed. But yeah, very like prescribed in a compelling and, and cute way, I thought. Yeah. 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 
I I think I think I agree with that take on on the whole as reading the crew is like kind of that that prescribed lesson by lesson to individual by individual and imparting, you know, the different alimantic knowledge. And I, I like that. PJ had an early prediction that like that was going to happen and mm-hmm. that absolutely did happen, not necessarily in the complete context that he guessed, but pretty close and I think that I think that it's fun, but it also kind of treats the characters as more of tools of the plot as opposed to actual characterized people, you know, instead of the mm-hmm. world. Like it's mm-hmm. it's not that the lessons don't come off to me as perfectly natural, but they do still fit the function of the story very well. And the characters themselves also shine kind of, but not Brandon is so frustrating because he's it's like so close to like an incredible story but it's always a great story like it's so close to incredible but it's it just always like settles for great it's my issue but that's spicy that's my spicy take that's my hot take but <laughs> I, I think my hot take is that i like spook and vin more than i like vin and ellen so Ooh. that's my hot take that's it okay it, elaborate elaborate i can't too much for this book oh sure but I will say that Spook is 100% the kid who watches a lot of Naruto and, like, Ninja runs to recess every day. So. Yeah. That's good. That's I love good. that for Vin. I love that for Vin. She needs that in her life. Yep. I'll PJ, elaborate more if you invite me back. Yeah. And you pay me. We like doing, we like doing wrap-ups when, when we're done as, as bonuses. So. <laughs> When, when we're done so, with it, you can come back and be like, fuck you. Perfect. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't think of this. A couple things to address. We get the sort of breakup of responsibilities for teaching Vin how to be a Mistborn mm-hmm. across the like the crew. But that also extends into how to lead a country <laughs> and completely ignores all of their misting capabilities, but still sort of finds delineations among amongst themselves for what they're good at and leading by committee basically fair so i thought i thought that was a cool dichotomy to a certain extent regarding vin and spook i think you're right i think it it feels more rooted in actual feelings and actual emotions (laughs) and like understanding of who each other actually are you know whereas ellen and vin are very they don't know hardly anything about each other it's so shallow the fact that she isn't a normal noble person i think they both love the idea of the other person and that's why it feels so shallow right because they both like really think that they understand this person and the other other person understands them deeply but they're both just obsessed with the idea. Like Eatland is obsessed with the idea of a noble girl. A Valette, who's not like other girls. Right? A Valette, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Vin is obsessed with the idea of a noble man who's not like other noblemen. Right. But they yeah. don't truly, like they aren't truly honest to each other until that final confrontation right before Vin goes in to fight the Lord Ruler in which mm-hmm. it's actually Vin and Ellen for the first time in this mm-hmm. book. So it's like, it's just but idealized that- as opposed to manifesting reality. And that whole interaction feels so, so powered by the, like the force of love to a certain extent. And it doesn't feel earned (laughs) force of love. That's for sure. And it also feels very right. You brought this up earlier, PJ, right? They're teenagers. It feels very teenagery, right? One one of them is. Yeah. One of them is a 20 year old. (laughs) Good point. Right. Like when I was 16, you know, I'd, I was more in love with the idea of the person 
than I was with the actual person. And I think that says yeah. less about Vin than it maybe does about Ellen for letting it happen. But here we are. Also, you know, got to remind you all, Brando's a Mormon, so they were going to get married <laughs> at 21 no matter what. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I had a hard time trusting Ellen to the entire story. Mm-hmm. So there's that. I you absolutely talk? thought oh, there was something. God. Yeah. What else do you want to know? I <laughs> I genuinely thought that he was on Devin the entire time and was using his charm as a way of like letting her guard down mm-hmm. and like catching the crew. It just felt too perfect how open he was about like not fitting into noble society mm-hmm. and like the way that he saw the ska in general. Like it was just so so much like blunt force information that he dropped in their first meeting. Blunt force romance. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That's a term now forever. So I, no, it feels it right. Just felt, it feels real. Yeah. I felt the same. I felt similar. Mm-hmm. It felt a little bit like, Oh, we have the story and now we have the romance arc. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How do we feel about the balls in general? The balls that they attended? Yeah. The ball. Yeah. Right. The, the like, that scene dressing for the whole story. I thought it was convenient. I don't know. I felt like it was a convenient plot device to get Vin into, into noble society. I think maybe he could have been a bit more creative, but yeah, they didn't seem super exciting, but then I have to remind myself constantly that they happened every night. That's right. That's fair. Like it was just there. Every going out to the bar for the most part. Like I'm sure there were some nights that it didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the How I Met Your Mother folks, like, showing up at the end of the night at the bar versus, yeah. like, the balls here. They yeah. just, like, mm-hmm. hang all day. Right? They don't have jobs. They just hang all day. And then they're like, ooh, what cute outfit am I going to wear to the ball tonight? Who's hosting? Mm-hmm. It's like, rotate. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. I, I think that's really it. Mm-hmm. So we, we talked about a lot of the crew, but I want to make sure that we we give a little bit of focus on Sazed and Farrakimi mm-hmm. in general. We don't have a whole lot of reveals this is good for you Lindsay. just as context but we don't have a whole <laughs> lot of reveals of Farrakemi in this novel outside of a handful of things and exactly how it works but it's interesting and Sazed is really this complex character that's kind of fed into the middle of this who starts as a steward as this mm-hmm. proper member te- teaching Vin all of these different notes but then also brings in the complexity of like religion into the conversation and the ideas of belief and faith mm-hmm. that I think really shape Vin in in a positive way i just kind of want reveals on sazed thoughts on sazed i love sazed i love sazed yeah yeah i also had a hard time trusting him pj doesn't fucking trust anyone do you get the theme i love that about pj i get it no pj i'm there with you like yeah it he he's great he's a great character Mm -hmm. and knowing what i know now i don't Mm -hmm. think i'd mistrust him as much as i did in the beginning but i was cautious about how much information he knew and how conveniently he was there to save vin from critic shaw initially that was that was the biggest point to me was how did he know and how was he there so perfectly in time and oh yeah you've got big big skepticism energy on that yep yep there's that farrakameni Farrakhemi in general, do we know of anyone, has it been mentioned that any Farrakhemists only have access to a single medal, or do they all have access to all of the medals? So far, they're treated like Mistborn. Right. 
So, so it appears as though they can do all of the things. Right. And that makes me like wonder about bloodlines. Is it just because it was a very pure bloodline amongst the terrorist men and they didn't like, I don't know. What's mentioned in the book, right? That the Lord ruler bred the terrorist men, bred, like bred the terrorist men in a very specific way for a very yeah. specific reason. And so I think that can be overlapped with this question about bloodline as to mm. why, where, how, as far as fairy chemistry goes. That's interesting. I had never thought about it that way, where mm-hmm. like he actually purified the bloodline to make them all ferrochemists. And we know that Vin is a, like one of one of the points about Vin being such a powerful mistborn was she must be from a very pure bloodline. So the power, like the power level of mistborn and mistings in general degrades over the purity of the bloodline. So there's that. So there's and an does interesting that, is is that parallel with ferrochemy? Wow, I just have to qualify real quick with with what Lindsay said on the ferrochemy side. The that's a crazy eugenics program. It's a crazy eugenics program if we start to think about it that way because it's like he he purified the bloodline to make them all. Oh my god, shit. Anyway, all right, I'm mind blown a little bit. Aha! That's why you pay me the big bucks. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, PJ. You were, you were saying though. That there, there's obviously the dilution of blood within Mistborns, not within Ferrochemy. And that there could be similar experiences. Was that what you're trying to get to? My yeah, mind I, was exploding. I'm sorry. We know there's breeding programs like you were just talking about. And we don't know of any examples of non, like super, non-super concentrated terracemen that still exhibit Ferrochemist like powers. Unless maybe... Vin's mom, which is my working theory right now, and Vin in general. So that Vin's I don't mom know. Is a ferrochemist? Is that your theory? Yeah, that's the theory. That's my theory because of a few different things. One of which is the fact that she very explicitly handed down an earring to Vin. Another point that I made and cross kind of debunked a little bit because of internal versus external allomancy, but the fact that she was able to persuade the like assassins from killing her. And maybe that's an equivalent to soothing potentially on the Ferrochemist side, right, but like that was that, she just be able to yeah. access that from her mistborn. She would have, yeah, she would have metals. just been soothing because she's an allomancer, not right. because she's a Ferrochemist. Right. But I like where your head's at. Though. I think, I think Vin needs to be, <laughs> needs to be both, Ferrochemist and Mistborn in order to rival the power of the Lord Ruler. Hmm. That's where that. This is where we just nod and we move on from your question yep. because yep. we can't. I know. So, well, do you feel like we have any suggestions that Vin could have ferrochemical powers? Yes. We have the where? fact that she is able to see Sezed's metal deposit, like stored power. But isn't able to access it, and says it says that's how it feels when a ferrochemist tries to use another ferrochemist's metal. Sure, that makes sense. So we we have that, which I don't know. I don't know. Working theory. You'll find out. Working theory. I know. Read, read, and find out, as they say. 
Yeah, but uh, my Raffa. reading is entirely controlled by Crossland. <laughs> it's true. PJ can't read unless I tell him to. <laughs> so actually, after we're done with this, PJ can finally start the Well of Ascension. It's been two weeks. Correct. That he's been unable <laughs> yeah. to read. So anyway, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the sort of quintessential end of Brandon Sanderson stories. PJ, this is your first one, mm-hmm. only one. But colloquially from fans, they're known as the Sanderlanch, where kind of <laughs> everything happens all at once. And the climax is treated like this giant rolling ball that cannot be stopped by any means. We actually did stop it, though, because we split the Sanderlanch into two episodes. So dividing I have up to the say, of like Kelsier's death into the Lord Ruler's death. But what thoughts? First of all, Sanderlanch. In my head, every time it's Sanderland Ranch. I don't know why. Welcome to Sanderland Ranch. Oh, no. That's every time. That's what I I don't know why. That's so funny. But it is. It is the Sanderland Ranch for some reason. I think this is a point that we've talked about a little bit with the Red Rising series as well. My experience with this book is way different than most people's Mm -hmm. because we read it at such a slow pace. Reading it at. You say so slow, dude, but you're part of the reason we read it so slow. <laughs> but also the it's paced out. Yes, we read it's it at paced pace. out yeah. and we can only record once a week. So I'm, I'm only reading like 60 pages in a, in a week and then I'm taking a week off before recording it. So it's a very methodical deep dive way of reading this book. And in that I read each section like three times. Mm-hmm. so before moving on to the next part it doesn't feel so fluid so that like like you said the the sanderlanch got the sanderland ranch got split <laughs> in two and it it felt divorced from each other like the those deaths felt entirely divorced from each other in my head okay. even though they're 20 pages apart sure it just felt very separate and I think it's entirely a function of the way that we read and record the the book. That's fair. And I did intentionally split it because I wanted you to go down the road of, oh, the Lord Ruler isn't going to die in this book. And that's literally where it your worked. brain went because it made sense, yeah. which was great. That's I entirely manipulated you intentionally into believing that, which was hilarious and hysterical, I think, for everyone who watched, listened. But I think it's also important because it... it hones in on like what was central there which is Kelsier's sacrifice first and then Mm -hmm. moving into the second part which is the death of the lord ruler and vin's kind of supremacy in her own right of like how did this actually happen yeah yeah so Lindsay, not having that perspective though i think it's important to ask like what do you think of the sanderlanch approach to climaxes i mean i don't think he's alone in it right like no i would say all of the harry potter books have the same fucking thing where it's just like exposition for 300 pages and then something actually happens i think it's a tried and true writing style i wish the sander lanch happened a bit sooner i think he condenses it like under 100 pages and so his writing goes from this really like excuse me his writing goes from this really like beautiful long drawn out world building and character building and uh relationship building and then all of a sudden stuff happens and it almost feels like you like turn the page onto a new book, right? Mm-hmm. I wish he was more competent at like blending the lines there or just drawing out the climax a little bit more. But I mean, it's it's a trope for a reason. And when you read a Brandon Sanderson book, you know what you're getting into. So I can't really complain. <laughs> I, I totally, totally understand that. I, I think he borrowed it in part from Robert Jordan, of sure. whom he finished The Wheel of Time when Robert mm-hmm. Jordan passed away. Mm-hmm. And so... 
I think that that's kind of why, because he's clearly kind of aping is the wrong word. He is very clearly borrowing from inspired by that sort Mm -hmm. of writing style. And so I think that's where I think that's where it comes from in large part. And I think that he was never assuaged from it and became because of because of a combination of characters, world building his very simple language like he. He is nowhere near the poeticism of Hemingway and simplicity, but he is very simple in the way that he constructs sentences and paragraphs to the point of where it's so clear, like pungently clear what he's trying to get across with whatever he's saying. Sure. All the time. And there's a very little flowery prose compared to especially going from like Red Rising to this. Right. We're, we're talking like plain English in Mistborn. We're talking crazy poetic, poetic wisticisms in Red Rising. In each other place, but yeah. Yeah. I think especially when you get into fight scenes, I really appreciated how straightforward and plain the fight scenes were. Like it read like uh screenwriting choreography mm-hmm. almost. And I don't know, for whatever reason, I really appreciated that style. I think I likened it to like a guitar solo. <laughs> you did the first time yeah. we saw it mm-hmm. i can empathize with that yeah we're getting narrative and then suddenly it's what two or three pages of just violence <laughs> yeah like, yeah exactly but just... without anything flowery it's just step-by-step motions of this happened this happened this happened this happened this happened but it's very clear uh, i don't know i yeah. felt mm-hmm. when i was reading it that in agreement with you, PJ, that like I could very clearly picture what was happening in this fight scene. And I don't think that's mm-hmm. true of of all fight scenes I've read. Even in the Red Rising series, I kind of no, zone out sometimes right. for a few pages and like reading, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, we're all hitting each other. It's fine, right? But I think I think in Mistborn, one of Sanderson's talents is being able to describe these fight scenes in a clear and compelling way that makes it very obvious what's happening and who's where and what they're thinking. And that's engaging and that's fun to read. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I, I think I'd push back a little bit and say we, we don't necessarily know what they're thinking for the most part. We just know what they're doing. Sure. There are there are some situations where we get the inner monologue bleeding into it. But for the most part, it's just physical actions, especially earlier on with Kelsier and mm-hmm. his confrontations. It's it's just motions. That's true. Whereas. That's true. If we talk about razor battles in the Red Rising series, <laughs> they're like a couple moves each, but they'll take up a they'll take up several pages because you're talking about the intentions and emotions and thoughts and like very detailed understandings of the fighting styles and mm-hmm. all this context to the fighting as opposed to the actual fighting. Right. Even though like that's very satisfying to read also. It's just different. But it's just different. And if you were to condense it and if you were to we talk a lot about screen adaptations and like how you how would you do this in Red Rising, those fight scenes would last a couple seconds based on if you were staying true to the story or it becomes way more epic of a battle than it is in the book. Right. Because it has to be in order to get the get the weight of it. Right. I think the only way you could accommodate it in like Red Rising in a film or TV adaptation would be to have this like almost very long drawn out 
anime style. It would be anime style. Like it'd be no joke, Dragon like, Ball Z entire Ball, episode yeah, of lead right, where you're, you're right. having this this battle or this fight that in reality lasts like, like maybe he's gonna do this three and, minutes, but it's yeah. thirty minutes of the movie because you're you know it's slow motion, uh, sword movement, razor movement, and then you're hearing their whole internal monologue the whole time. Which truly, I do not love in anime. So no, I don't. <laughs> I'm either. fine with yeah. just watching some beautiful yeah. choreography. Right. Mm-hmm. Just give me the choreography. Yes. I can I can try to read people's facial expressions and try to extract some of that information. That's that's where like adaptation can really shine in those various ways. And I think to to the kind of core point here, I think that Mistborn is written to be adapted. Like this is so clearly an easy why the fuck hasn't it happened movie. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is the fucking like a crazy great story that you could very easily tell on screen. And I think finally they're starting to make progress on that. They he sold the rights and like reverted the rights a couple of times because they were going to change shit that he didn't like. And yeah, I think they're finally making progress on that. But awesome. Oh man. Do we have like yeah. any well, this is irrelevant to the Mistborn wrap up. <laughs> but do we have any like inklings of casting? I know there's that can be a thing. No, but that's a curious question. Like, who do you think would, who, where would you cast to? We actually talked, we discussed a little bit about Kelsier. We didn't cast other people, but we did discuss Kelsier casting with like what we thought would match, which was interesting. Oh. So like, maybe let's, let's do that as kind of a, a lightning round. So we've got the big ones, Vin, Kelsier, Seize, Lord Ruler. Yeah. Or other ideas. If you have other like random throw-ins, throw them in. I'm bad at actors. I have to think. Okay. So, PJ, let's go with your Kelsier take, because I think it's interesting, and I think it'll jog the conversation in an interesting direction. Caleb McLaughlin, right? I think that's his name. That's so. The... It, have, have you seen Concrete Cowboy? <laughs> if not. Okay, so... He's Idris Elba's nephew? Yeah, Idris Elba's nephew in that movie. I, thought I think he might, be, movie? he might be a little bit too young. It's a movie. Oh no, he's not. He's no. not his nephew in in real life. I thought it was a real life. I thought there was a real life oh, connection. My bad. Maybe th- maybe there is. I'm not aware of that though. I think I stated something like that on the show, and I'm so wrong. That is hysterical. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> but we we had conversations about this with our our Patreon Discord server that made us realize that Kelsier's older than we, we both thought. saw him. Yeah. I saw him as like around thirty, maybe. 35 at most mm-hmm. but turns out he's like 35 40 what yeah more yeah. more in the 40 ish range yeah he's um, 35 to 45 huh he's yeah. so spry yeah yeah my, that's my issue like there's a there's a weird problem with age and what he does but that's the misborn nature of things i feel like mm-hmm. kelsier in my head because right like he has like lighter hair sanderson describes him as having this like sandy hair but i kept wanting mm-hmm. to give him dark hair for whatever reason that's probably my own thing i need to work through but i feel like he would be <laughs> whatever the guy's name is that plays jamie lannister in game of thrones oh that's great what is yeah, his name? yeah yeah i could see that it's like nikolai um, Nicola, yeah nikolai uh Costor, Costor Costor. Waldo. yeah is that right yep. that's how i kind that's of right see him. yeah mm-hmm. yeah yep i didn't think we had any contextual that's actually a great casting shit that could be pretty good he would make a killer kelsier man i I can't hmm. he he is black in my head i don't know why cool i for whatever reason from the beginning that's that's what i thought who would you cast him as so he said caleb mclaughlin which is the caleb mclaughlin right yeah he's i think he's too young ignore the delete the part where i'm so sorry 
No, you're good. <laughs> that was the whole point. We're, we'll I mean, clean it up. Don't we, worry about with it. the actual age range, you could a younger Idris Elba could do it. Mm, sure, but Caleb would make a killer spook. That could that could do I'm it. Staring yeah. at him, I'm thinking spook, mm-hmm, but. Mm-hmm. I looked up Mistborn fancast, and there's a lot of people who want Timothy Chalamet to be Spook, and I want to put it on the record. I am entirely against this. That should not happen. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. Who was Timothy Chalamet was recently? Fa- oh, Roke. Spider-Man. Timothy, like our our group, our Patreon group, Discord group, uh, put in his name for Roke in Red Rising. He'd play a good Roke. Like, fine. A good sad poet, you know? Yeah. He could do I that guess. well. Yeah. I think they're better I people. I think I think that would be if yeah. you wanted to like really get the namesake in there. Sure, sure. Uh, we we can move away from Timothy Chalamet. So we we said uh, <laughs> Kelsier. We've got Nicolaj Custar Waldo, who I think is incredible. I'm gonna just throw my weight behind that. I originally said give me early 2000s Brad Pitt, and like that would be that's my like head canon. I don't know why I can't get past <laughs> sure. it, but like Fight Club Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. like that's just brain. So we've got Vin then. And not to stay like two in the Game of Thrones realm, but the guy who plays the bird. What's his name? The bird. The birdie guy. <laughs> the birdie guy? Are you talking about the old man who no. is secretly a. Yes. And I don't want to just like make him play one eunuch and then the next Varus. Varus. I. F- oh, but he's not like. Oh, God. He would be a great Sazed. I hate that. Well, but right, I love except it. Except for Sazed right. is supposed to be like a bit more tan than him. And so like I want. Yeah. I met this man at a con once who was cosplaying as Varys, but he was mm. not a white person, and I want him to play Sazed. So we have to find him. That's your. I don't know what that's his name your head. Is, so we have to find him. <laughs> we must find this man. That's good. Yeah. So for Sazed, I see, mm-hmm. I see him as very like accentuated and long, mm. like like interesting Javier. Botet. Okay. Yeah. Yep. You're, I mean, it, so... it's it essentially Marfan syndrome. Sure. Is what I imagine Sazed being just very, very long and like long fingers, accentuated like cheekbones and mm-hmm. jaw. <laughs> I thought you were going Javier Bardem because that's who I like. No. I no. Botet. B o t e t. I think that's yeah. more true to the to the narrative, whereas I always pictured Sazed as like tall but also a little chubby but i think the way okay. that you're explaining it makes more sense okay that's what? a good cast yeah yeah that's really mm. good yeah for me it was for me for says for whatever reason i've just had it in my head that javier bardem bardem like he's got that interesting like speaking timbre too that i think would match with says he might be a little too old but my image of javier bardem matches with my image of says being the long the long stare and the thoughtful contemplation. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. But I might be the oddity there. I think he's got, he's not, he's not fully, he's tan. And so I, I feel like the skin color fits right. And I feel like the whole, or like, I feel like that fits an idea. Like Lance Reddick. Ooh, I think that could be a Lance good, Reddick's good. Says that option, but he's too like cut for me. I don't know, but I, I feel like the producers might like it. Oh, Lance Reddick would be great. He did. God, was he, I think think he was in american gods yes he i was about to say that in american yes. gods yeah yeah and he did it incredibly in that mm-hmm. mm. yeah 
Lance Reddick's great. That's a great cast. Obviously, he's in a lot of other things, including The Wire, which is the best <laughs> TV show ever. It doesn't matter. But it doesn't matter. You know, I just fun. found a fan cast though where Yeadon is cast by Michael Sarah. <laughs> and I just want to, <laughs> okay. I yes. want to I want to introduce Michael Sarah into the Mistborn universe. I don't care what role he has, but Michael Sarah <laughs> needs to be in it. Oh God, uh give him Demu. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> no, that would be so good. I could also, well, oh I could see him as a very specific, so, important character to come that we can't yes, mention right yeah. now. I but think I, I know who you're talking about. I see Yeadon as Martin Freeman. Ooh, mm-hmm. that works. Yeah, I don't know. I want, I want a little bit more like young foolhardiness though than Martin Freeman, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like I want, okay. which is where Michael Sarah, I think, like peak yeah yeah um, i can or see jesse that. eisenberg you know like okay someone here also cast shan as sophie turner which i wholeheartedly disagree with i feel like shan has to be like megan that's fox. the common fan casting yeah really? megan fox would work yeah i don't know i feel like shan has to be this did they say that she has like red hair i don't remember that does anderson write that i don't think so because to me shan was very like had a very contrasted appearance like pale skin dark beautiful hollywood curls like viper vibes i don't know that was me yeah i definitely get the perspective of like a viper right so mm-hmm. i feel like megan fox is more apt than um my opinion there but i will say if you haven't seen sophie turner in um x-men in the newer x-men movies i think that her as Jean gray phoenix i think that she plays kind of a more viperish character in that so i think she could do it but i would agree with you i would go with someone closer to those kind of darker features of megan fox the sharper features no i've seen that i just think i think shan needs to be sophie turner comes off as a bit too like actually powerful where shan to me came off as like socially dark auburn hair dark auburn is what it's described yeah shan came off to me as somebody who could socially ruin you but like probably couldn't beat you in a fight and that's why it's so surprising Mm -hmm. when we find out that's not the case and I feel like Sophie Turner, maybe this is my like Game of Thrones bias with her. She's like, Sophie Turner on her face is too powerful. It has to be more sneaky powerful. Got it. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. I track that. Thanks. Okay. What about the Lord Ruler? Rashek. God, I don't know. For me, I... it's Adam Driver. Yes. Adam Driver's great. <laughs> Just forever. It has to be Adam Driver. For me, it's so Adam Driver. When PJ said that, I was like, "That's that's excellent." I would take Fassbender personally, Michael Fassbender, mm-hmm. as okay. my big bad. I think it's also because I'm thinking Magneto Daddy in my head the whole mm-hmm. time. But you know, he's supposed to look yeah. like perpetually in his twenties, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think Michael Fassbender looks like he's perpetually in his thirties. But sure. sure, no, 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 no. You're right. I'm just <laughs> yeah. when I'm thinking of people, I'm trying to yeah imagine someone young, Tom Cruise at that point, right? <laughs> lord ruler is tough but i i feel like especially given the portrayal of magneto i just feel like you could get you get some fucking waves do you know who could look good what is his name oh my god what is his name oh that's not how you spell that i could see what is his name give me his name god damn it what movie do you have a movie Roger jean page who's like the protagonist oh, in bridgerton yeah. or the the love interest in bridgerton yep. he just has he could that, totally like, do it kind of like snatched uh snaky male appearance and i think he could have the very like haughty h-a-u-g-h-t-y right like yep presence of the lord ruler and i think he could do that really well i love i love rouge jean page i think he makes mm-hmm. a ton of sense i think that also he fits into that age range that we're talking about with the lord ruler too so right where you're like PJ. younger but you look you look a little older than you are yeah 
Totally. PJ, you're totally Adam Driver. Menace, give me the long hair Adam Driver again. I think Adam Driver's a great call. Yeah. 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 I like I like all of them. I would take any of them, to be honest. They're all they're all great casts. Okay. One final um, full oh. So one <laughs> Did we talk Vin? Did we fucking talk Vin? We, we, we haven't talk talked Vin, Vin but Wait, I, I don't know if I want him as Ham or Breeze. But oh what's his name? Steven Graham. Who played Tommy in Snatch? Oh yeah, he'd make a good. Oh sure. Look at look at him now. I think he'd play either of them really, really well. You said which characters? Either Ham or Breeze. Ooh. And I, I think I Breeze. think entirely if we're going to Breeze, add, adapt yeah. it, both of them should be women. I think you're <laughs> yeah. absolutely right. But if right. we're going, you're right. the feminist. No, but Basically. I agree with you. I think he'd be a better Breeze. I think I picture Ham a bit more cut so for me ham is don lee which i highly recommend looking up just so that you can get the visual image but he played gilgamesh in the recent eternals he is perfect he is ham as written to me like when i watch eternals is like oh that's ham on screen sweet look at his arms perfect and he's got the same kind of he's got well he's got he's got that same kind of like friendly vibe that i just i really resonated with and i was like that's right. ham in my right. head forever he happens yeah. to be he happens to be big and muscular because of the way he is yeah. not because he like works really hard at it yes yeah i right. see that that's awesome yeah so mm-hmm. for me don lee was ham i can see that yeah 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 absolutely yeah breeze is interesting vin breeze is, could have a I, wide range of i'm also options. avoiding answering for vin because i have no idea how to mm-hmm. approach it do i look for a child actor <laughs> because she's like Young mm-hmm. and also small for like, like she is a, she, she is described as almost childlike for most of it, but also emotionally she feels older and mm-hmm. like, I'd want to look for like an adult Who can actor play younger. <laughs> yeah. I think if you were like to be true to the series, you would pull a child and have them grow up with the series. I feel like that would feel most authentic if we had to do it the Hollywood way and pick like a 30 year old to play a 14 year old. You know, I would think of like Isabella Monet, Monet. You could be really lazy and go with Maisie Williams, who perpetually looks 14, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I see Anna Taylor Joy. I see Queen's Gambit all over this. I think, I feel like she's too tall. She might be too tall. That's fair. She has like a really long vertical. Vin is is so meek. Mm -hmm. Ooh, what was her opposite actor in The Last Night of Soho? God, I I could almost see. Thomas and Mackenzie. Um, who, I would also who, pl- who played Arya Stark? Maisie Williams. That's Maisie I, I said Williams. her a second yeah. ago. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Perpetually twelve. I just feel like that's too obvious. You know, and like Maisie, yeah. I don't know. Like she already played the like little girl to adult she, trope, but yeah, maybe she that's literally fine. Has done maybe that. she can do it yeah. again. Good for her. Get your bag. I don't know. I almost <laughs> want everyone to be nobodies in like yes. everything that I want. <laughs> like I every every adaptation, I want it to be entirely fresh. Yes, if it's like if it's an adaptation of a book, I want it to be people that I do not know. At least mm. for the main characters, side characters, it can be fun to throw in people. But yeah, that that feels right to me. Mm-hmm. I I can agree with that. Cast it all on Harry Potter. There were a bunch of nobodies, and it become you know. Renowned, that also went poorly so. for them, though, because Harry and Ron were supposed to be super tall, and then <laughs> Rupert Grint and uh, Daniel Radcliffe both ended up being, like, 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, <laughs> yeah, very short, <laughs> comparatively. <laughs> okay, so I want to ask one final question, then we'll do a lightning round to kind of end mm-hmm. the episode. So, 
I, I think this is a great question to ask in any book that you're reading because I think it's an interesting thing to think about. But a like favorite point of view that you get in the book itself, which we get a number of point of views over the course of the story. But then on top of that, if you could inhabit any other character's point of view throughout the novel, who would you choose? I'll give you mine to just like lead you in here a little bit for me. So I really love Carr's perspective. PJ and I were talking about this earlier this morning at like eight when I woke up because he called me and he was like, hey, and I was like, I'm barely awake and I'm going to make coffee now. But I, I think Carr as a, oh my God, Inquisitor. Am I losing my mind? Yep. It's Inquisitor, right? Like I'm not? Yep. Okay. All right. Anyway, as an Inquisitor. You are also losing your mind, but that's an <laughs> well, for, I'm, I'm thinking like first law and my brain went in the wrong direction. And I was confusing terms again, of which I've done once or twice on the show. But so as an Inquisitor, I think Carr's perspective is really interesting. It's a really interesting perspective to follow, even for just that two pages that we get it. And his perspective before Vin breaks in and then we get the whole like end of the book with the Lord Ruler. I think that's crazy. I would love more inquisitor perspective in general mm. i do really love and i think that i would really appreciate more perspective from another crew member i'll specifically point out i think ham has some of the best perspective and like is one of the most interesting characters because he's so philosophically driven he's contemplating the environment and the world that he lives in all the time and he, he's always posing those questions so i think ham would lend something to the story if we sat in his perspective for a bit so i'd pick ham Hammond. Give me Hammond. Give me Give Hammond. me Don Lee. That's interesting. I think if I could have a spin-off series, I don't think it would be helpful in the first book. I would like Shan's perspective just because A, because like what we talked about before, where like Sanderson kind of writes female stereotypes in like a non-sexual way, which is refreshing but also boring, you know? And I just wanted I just want to hear what's up in her head. She reminds me of the protagonist or the main character in The Shadows Between Us, which is in my opinion, not a great book, <laughs> but like it's a fun read. And I would just I would love to hear like what, you know, Shan's journey from being a mistborn to being to kind of just pretending she's just a normal everyday allomancer to, you know, what does Shan do at night? How does nobody know that this girl's a mistborn? How does everybody think she's how, how is she so unassuming while also being so powerful? I think that'd be really interesting to to hear. Shans would be great, I think, that because you'd get, like, the noble lens in society, too, mm -hmm. and the secret Mistborn lens, like, because yeah. she's been hiding it for so long. Yeah, that's right. great. I love that. I PJ. want Spook's perspective. Ooh. Because Spook seems so entirely misunderstood. Yeah. Or everybody has the inability to understand because of his dialect and also just kind of being a young awkward teenager mm -hmm. pj related hard to spook in oh. terms of like pj pj when he experienced spooks like relationship advances and things like that he was like this reminded me of being in junior high like oh. and like literally like going up to a girl and for high school and stuff like that and high school and your late 20s yeah i mean you know just in general me <laughs> do you also like naruto run around campus not that you can prove no that's fair no. <laughs> <laughs> No, I do a good enough job standing out just being me. Aw, we love that. I I can appreciate that now. <laughs> I didn't before. But just in general, Spook seems like somebody you could expand upon pretty substantially and get this like internal monologue of somebody who's very articulate and knows what he's talking about, but doesn't 
properly know how to communicate with with the people that he's talking to. That's a great call. I I think especially like communication barriers make for very interesting point of view characters, especially in in like a number of fantasy novels. I I love that. That's a great inclusion. So we went through. I said Ham. Once you said Shan, you said okay. Favorite favorite point of views throughout the novels. Like we get trusting. We have Kelsier. We have Vin. We have Carr. We have Doxin to begin our lightning. I think Clara's interesting, he, but I got to go back to our girl Vin. I don't yeah, know. I think I'd go with Vin as well. I really like Fuck cars, it. but I, I don't think it's long enough for me to call it my favorite. Right. God, it's it's just so interesting for that moment. It is. And it's, Absolutely. it's like, it's flirtatious in that way from, from Brandon's point of view, where it's like, ah, yes, this is what this could be. Mm-hmm. That's why I like it. That's why I find it intoxicating. Okay. Favorite character. I swear to God, if you choose Vin every time, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> I'm going to go with Spook again. <laughs> I don't Spook. know. I really like Spook. I really like Spook. <laughs> Lindsay? I'm thinking. Okay. Either that or, oh, what's his name? The older Ska. Menace? Menace. 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 I really like Menace as well. I mean, I think, not to be super cliche, but I do like, as much as I've shit on him this episode, I do love Kelsier. Like, yeah. I can totally support someone who has like one agenda inside and one agenda that they broadcast to the world. He's a single issue politician, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not good at I hate on that. I think he's complex. I think he's deceptively complex. Yeah. I think Kelsey is really interesting. Yeah. His death, his mm-hmm. death hurt me. Agreed. It's, it's <laughs> grieving. Like we, we lose both like what appears to be the main series antagonist through mm-hmm. the Lord ruler. And we lose a, the secondary protagonist, which is Kelsey yeah. at the same time. Oh, yeah, I think man. my my main character for the series is different than my main character, my favorite character rather for the uh, for the first book. Oh, Sezad may be up there. Yeah, Sezad might be up there. I got to say, like my favorite character, um, thinking about just this book is like a standout moment. I I really think that among all of the sort of shit that is like lofted upon them and all the the kind of crap that they deal with i think that reen like the back scratchings of reen throughout vin's perspective are so important to the story that it would be Mm -hmm. hard to say that that's not it's not a favorite moment collective i don't like him i don't Mm -hmm. like the character but he's critical sure and so i i think that like reen ends up being a favorite despite being despicable Mm -hmm. i think that makes sense yeah you always know that you're going to learn something new about him when you when you hear him. Right. right. You, it's always like him. another thing. It's it's the next secret, as they say. The next. As Kelsier said. Yeah, there's always another secret. You know, it's Kelsier's whole thing. OK, favorite scene, favorite moment. I got to say, for me, it's it's the moment when the the ska stand up and they stab the Lord Ruler through the chest oh, yeah. with the spears. And then subsequently, the Lord Ruler backhands Kelsier so hard that he fucking dies. Yeah, nothing happens. And stabs him through the chest with a spear from himself. Like, he, he's like, this doesn't fucking matter to me. That's that's my favorite moment. It just blows my mind every time. It's a backhand, too. Like, it's disrespectful. Uh, right. Yeah. I think the first real expose on combat as a Mistborn with, mm-hmm. with Kelsier that's is my mm-hmm. favorite. So the first, the heist where he's stealing the ATM. Yep. Got it. I really cool. like, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's the one that comes to mind. I really like when they, for the first time, go down like, what's it called? The Mistborn Road, where there's all those. Oh, yeah. The Almantic Road. The Almantic yeah. Road. There's all those like metal bits in the road. And there's kind of like, boop, 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 you know, jumping along. That felt very 
you know, for Vin, who's lived a life of secrecy and like kind of underground, both like emotionally and physically and felt very contained, that felt very freeing to me. And I liked reading mm-hmm. about her experience in that. I mm-hmm. also love that because she's mm-hmm. figuring it out too. And she's working right. out. She's like, who did this? And right. Well, and Kelsey is not fun- like babying her. He's not really holding her hand through it. He's like, well, figure right. it out. Here I go. You know? And I thought that was yeah. kind of cool. Fucking deal. Mm-hmm. Fucking deal. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, at that point, it wasn't even like him telling her to figure it out. He didn't expect her to follow him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you're like, going to follow me. Who knows if he was going to, like, I'm, I'm sure he was going to teach her that at some point, but it's better for her to figure it out on her own, I think, narratively. And from a character perspective, we get to learn that she she isn't content with just learning what's right. given to her, but but going and exploring and, and learning on her own. So That's powerful, too, especially in a book that's so dominated by, like, male role models. True. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay, final of the speed round questions here. And I'm going to aim this towards PJ, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, and Lindsay, feel free to chime in if in, if you can to some degree. <laughs> but what are you looking forward to most in the next book? Are you able to tell me if the next book is on the same timeline? What does that mean? Yeah, it's the same like, characters. It, same characters yeah, and is chronologically yeah. like, For the most part, yeah. in order. Yeah. Okay. I'm really interested in learning what Ellen is like as a king. Mm. Like. He mm. he has so much like philosophy without action. Like we talked about that a lot in with in the red with Lysander in Red Rising of like philosophy without any action. And that's basically all we get from Ellen up until the very very end of the book. And seeing how he actually applies himself in a position of power. I think will be really interesting to see. Lindsay, did did you have anything that you were looking forward to between books, or do you have anything that you'd, you know, highlight as a hope for the next book? I think between books one and two, I was trying to figure out if Kelsier was actually dead, but we already talked about that. Yeah, that was my that's fair point. That was my big thing. I was like, they can't kill him off. He's the main character. Totally. Yeah. For for me, it was always the going book to book. It was more the context of the Lord Ruler is what I was looking for. I was like, how the hell? What the hell? What happened to make that man this thing? How did the world shift? Because clearly it did. Like, what mm-hmm. happened? And that's what I, like, really wanted from, like, book to book. Like, that was that was the answer that I was seeking. That's the other the other thing that I'm looking forward to is the final warning from the Lord Ruler <laughs> was basically alluding to the fact that he was still actively doing something for humanity. And that by destroying him, you are dooming humanity in some sort of way so what that means whatever that means learning what that means will be fun or not fun because he was very he was very adamant like well you fucked up you know so what does that look like what is that yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what is that fantastic okay final final thing what i'm gonna do i'm just gonna open it up do you guys have anything else that you want to talk about any other thoughts on the novel general comments questions concerns I've said policy issues. Have you? I have. I don't think I really have anything more to expand upon. I'm still curious. Like I'm constantly thinking about what you guys were talking about right away in the episode or even before the episode. What, what could make this young adult and what doesn't? And where is that line? Mm -hmm. Hmm. Well, to listen to much, much like red rising. Does that, does that 
change? Does the genre change or not as we go forward? Lindsay was pitching the delineation because we get into that quite a bit in the yes. in the romance short port episode that you should all listen to. And then you'll find out yeah. like people have made this joke a couple of times. They're like, it's not a short pour. It's a long pour. Like mm-hmm. you're still recording a lot of content. And I'm like, well, it's once a month. Like that's generally the idea going forward. But, <laughs> but it's, it's many, also it's a single. Shots. It's many shots. <laughs> it's a single episode for a piece of media as opposed mm-hmm. to an entire like how many months have we been tackling Mistborn? A couple months now? Well, yeah, now it's like three. But yeah. this is. Episode 11? Yep, yeah, so three months. have been doing them like weekly. So being able to tackle one thing in one episode is much Completely shorter than, yeah. than an entire series. So doesn't mean that they're short episodes. It just means that it's not a series. <laughs> yeah, we're not. We're not doing the same kind of methodical breakdown. <laughs> totally. And definitely go listen to that. Obviously, this comes out the same week as the romance episode does. People should definitely check that out. It's a two-parter, each one about an hour 45-ish, depending on the timeline that we actually ended up with in the post when it gets broken up. You can obviously listen to Lindsay and I talk about it there, in addition to an incredible, quote, harem quote of women. <laughs> that is a self-appointed title. Don't worry, Crossland didn't just say that. Thing that I It was not something that I did. I actually said cavalcade because I wanted the, the proper no... Yeah, then we said, no, that's dumb. And then you're like, fuck that. Let's go. We're going deep <laughs> on this shit right away, which is great. So there's that. But Lindsay, with that, where else can people find and interact with you? If you want to share. <laughs> Unless I'm like hiding <laughs> under a rock. Could you can be. find me on Instagram or Twitter at Lindsay Fundeen, L-I-N-D-S-B-A-E-F-U-N-D-E-E-N. The name started as a meme, and now we're just rolling with it. I'd love to connect with you there or here. Or if you join the Patreon, we can chat on the Discord. Yes, Lindsay is a member. She's there hanging out as one of our contributors, of course, mm-hmm. because she's been on the show a couple of times and probably will be in the future. So I hope so. Yeah, it was so great. This was awesome. We're so glad to have you on the show. It was so fun. Thanks for having me. I would love to be back. Everyone who's listening, write them a lot of strongly worded emails about how much you love me. And then I'll be back. <laughs> you can email us at <laughs> that was my segue. <laughs> show at gmail.com oh, or on Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit, wordswhiskeypod. And if you want to join us and just chat with us directly, patreon.com slash wordsandwhiskey. Yes, as Lindsay mentioned, you can definitely join <laughs> us there. Beyond that... Oh my god, I lost everything all of a sudden, all at once. Beyond that, follow us there. Next week, before we totally ditch out of this, we are reading chapters 1 through 7 of The Well of Ascension. We've got a bunch of stuff coming out. We also have on February 22nd, so this is coming out on the 17th. Next week, the following week, we have a short poor episode coming out with Rob Hart, of which we've teased across mm-hmm. episodes and episodes and episodes, which is so great. It's a solid hour 20 interview that I think everyone would love. We, we cover a gamut of topics from the book himself the books writing habits star wars <laughs> and kind of some th- thoughts there because he's written a short story that impacted the canon of star wars so we had a whole thing there which was fun i will and say i'm 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 just gonna announce this right now i haven't talked to crossland about this but i am planning on doing the paradox hotel mm. as an an episode of pj's symposium of media and whimsy which should also be out as a podcast by then 
Maybe. That will start in March. Starting in March. All right. (laughs) When the whole thing kicks off. This is going to be a crazy month. It's been a crazy month so far. Lindsay has contributed to many of the things. We're so grateful to have you here. And thanks so much to everyone at home. Thank you for having me. 